and it's Carolina Peace, even though I don't look like Carolina Peace, I am Carolina Peace. And uh, you're listening to Tom and Zeus on the Shouted Out Loud cast. So keep listening, keep rocking. What's up there, Kiss Army? Tom and Zeus with another episode of Shout It Out Loudcast. Episode 158, Shout It Out Loud, the story of Kiss's Destroyer with author James Campion. Tom, how the hell are you doing? Well, let's see. It's uh, Thursday, the 13th, and uh, my whole family's dealing with COVID, including me. So if you hear me a little bit under the weather, uh, we're all good. My son's kind of pretty much recovered my wife is pretty much recovered and uh i'm kind of the last one uh i'm fine i'm fine a little sniffly little uh you know low grade temp on and off that kind of stuff nothing bad i'll survive you sound like one of the early jerky boys my wife is sick my daughter <laughs> is sick are you talking about coupons Hey, I'm going to take you to court. What kind of pizza place is this? You came late for one, and then you don't give me a rebate, and then we throw up. Sir, I'll write you up. I'll send the coupon in the mail. Coupon? My daughter is throwing up. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to take you to court. Sir, you want to give me a second? I'll write this up, please. If you want, I can give you a number. You can write a number yourself if you don't believe me. Shut the fuck up. I'm gonna kill you! You do not treat me like this! My daughter is sick, my wife is sick! And you talking about coupons? What kind of business is this? I'm going to to bomb that place! What kind of people are you? My friend, this is not good business! Sir, what can I do to make you feel happy? Shut the fuck! Coupon? What can I do for you, sir? Check your food. Maybe you poison everybody. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Usually, I'm usually I have a nice bottle of water right here. Tonight, I'm drinking tea like a man. So, woo. yeah. But nothing will get in the way of shut it out loudcast. No way. We're here. That's called commitment, fellas. Yeah. We got a good episode here. We got a, we got a good episode here. This is you guys are gonna get a kick out of this one because we sure as hell did. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, but. We have to get through a mammoth of an episode last week. So as we always do, we always go back, talk about the feedback that we got on our previous episode, which was the opener of season four for us. It was Love Gun album review. Yeah. Wow. Massive feedback on this. Kind of as expected. People love the album reviews, especially the classic albums. Uh, so Love Gun, and of course, every time we do an album review, the poll on Twitter is favorite song. And of course, Twitter only allows you four options. 
And the options this time were I Stole Your Love, Christine 16, Shock Me, and Love Gun. And this poll broke the record previously set by Revenge for most votes in an album review favorite song poll. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, And 41% of the votes went to I Stole Your Love. 30% went to the title track Love Gun. 23% went to Shock Me. And only 6% went to Christine 16. Yeah, I Stole Your Love, Tom, is the uh, Mr. Speed of deep cuts. Yeah. It's it's gotten to the point where it's not a deep cut. It's just now an annoyance that Kiss will never play it. I, I think that's exactly right. It's an More, annoyance. Yep. Yeah, whereas they never played Mr. Speed. But, right. you know, I Stole Your Love, you've played that. Why are you? Why are you going to be teasing us, Kiss? Come on. Why are you going to be so stupid? <laughs> um, so a couple quick comments here. So Vet Halen, all great songs. I feel kind of generic saying this, but lo- he voted for Love Gun. Kevin's on fire. Tough call for me between Shock Me and I Stole Your Love, but I went with the album opener. Song just comes out swinging. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> Steve Disco goes, I prefer the deeper tracks. So I'm voting for Love Gun. <laughs> A heavy mail. Wow. Love gun only 6%. Well, it picked up steam and got to 30, but still came in second. Ryo V. Why isn't almost human an option? That would be my vote. Dude, I love that song, but I think it wasn't an option because I don't know how many people like that song. <laughs> I love it. Because there's only four fucking options and almost human is not going to supersede the oh, other options. You, will you bite your tongue? Uh, let's see. Bruce Fody. Shock me is my go-to, but really diving in gut love for sale is a killer cut. Great solo. Yes. Agreed. Casey says, hope there's a 45th anniversary for this album. Oh, there will be. There will be. I don't uh, know. Oh, there will be. Yeah. I don't know. They did the other part, the, the double, the Supreme uh, Taco Supreme Deluxe Edition on this. I don't know. That was a CD. That was way back before all this, all this shit was. You don't think they're going to come back and do some kind of box set? T-shirt, colored friggin' box of shorts, friggin' deal. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our buddy Steve, gotta go with I Stole Your Love for me. With Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun, Kiss had three spectacular album openers, and this should still be in the set list today. Great point. That's right. Good job. Mike Reese, I Stole Your Love rules. I know Paul loves Love Gun, but he ripped off the words in the chorus from the old blues tune, The Hunter. Yes, we did talk about that. Dan Gartrell, I just wish Kiss would listen to the fans when putting together a set list. I Stole Your Love is one of their best songs, but they don't play it anymore. Fans want to hear it. Absolutely, buddy. Is he uh, a new Kiss fan? Dan? Yeah. I think he's just, t- yeah. I just think he found a place to voice his little bitching, which is great. I love it. Kiss fans yeah. do not bitch. Here's my favorite new fan, Kyle Schneider, because he said, Hooligan is my favorite song. <laughs> He needs to he needs to talk to somebody. He needs to talk to me. <laughs> no, no. And then and then MJ Cray responded by sending us the gif of the little kid from Role Models, where it says it's about Paul Stanley's dick. <laughs> Dude, if you guys have not seen Role Models, see Role Models. Oh my god! Uh, and let's get into a few episode specific comments from Twitter. Um, oh, this is a good one. Stanley lives for you. 
also known around these parts as Sonny Pooney. <laughs> and he comes out and says, the album is good. Not their best, but either way. Three hours of conversation is ridiculous. <laughs> I enjoy your podcast, but you got to trim these down. So I responded with, remember that time we made you listen to our show? Neither do we. <laughs> and I think that got like a shitload yeah. of comments afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. Stanley lives for you, <clears throat> uh, wh- whoever you are. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the burner accounts are in major effect, Tom. Oh, they came out in full force. Oh. <laughs> full force. It, it, it's quite predictable. There's too many giveaways. There's just too many of them. Well, the number one giveaway is when he responds by saying, you guys think I have all this time in the world? <laughs> yes, you do. We know you do. <laughs> you're gambling at 6 a.m. in Vegas. Why not create a new burner account? <laughs> While you're waiting for your cards to flip. <laughs> hmm, this is a good one I can create. And then I'll activate it six months from now, along with the other ones I activate <laughs> that only follow you and growing up rock. Oh, <laughs> uh, Sonny, we love you, buddy. We love you, Pooney. You're the man. Sonny Pooney, go fuck your ass. You're an idiot. Your opinions are shit. Your name is stupid. And you look like a firebag. Uh, Sean Geek, he says, oh, this is a sweet spot review for me. Great job, guys. The love for this album pours out of both of you. And how could it not? Then he starts bashing tomorrow and tonight. Oof. What? Yikes. Sean Geek podcast said tomorrow and tonight. Really? This song ranks in the lowest echelon of my kiss picks. Oh, guess what, Sean Geek? (laughs) Do an episode on your rankings. (laughs) And then we will attack your rankings. (laughs) I was just going to say, did we do a show on his rankings? <laughs> what the fuck? Well, it's not on mine. Oh, okay. Let's go back and re-record it then, Tom, and talk about Sean. Stop. And Sean's a good guy. We love of course, him. Oh, of course. We're just, fuck, we're just fucking with him. <laughs> He's not alone. We get these all the time. What are you talking about? How do you have it there? It's, it's summer two. Oh, you say it's number two. Let's go back and change our whole philosophy. Tom, change your pick because he said it's number two. Oh, you okay. said so. You, you said so. Uh, okay, I'll do that. Uh, let's see. JR, I listened to it tomorrow and tonight while putting up a 35 Chevy on a 55 frame. I'm sure this episode will shock me. Nice. Uh, let's see here. What do we got? Oh, here's another one. Sonny Pooney's terrible taste. There's <laughs> <laughs> a great Twitter page. That piece of shit, Sonny Pooney. I have yet to listen to this episode or Love Gun in general. I've been doing a deep dive into John Waite's 2004 (laughs) classic, The Hard Way. Here we go. And it gets better. Dizzy Dean's picket fence teeth chimes in. He says, I'm almost human. Baby, please don't run away. I'm sorry. My incisors are in the way. Those like those butt head teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh God. Uh, let's see. Ton of, ton of great comments here. Um, my God, it's tough to pick out some good ones here. Uh, JC, he, he, I'm, I'm reading his comment because a lot of people uh, actually feel this way about this. He says to me, this album is terribly uneven. Some great songs, but then songs like "Then She Kissed Me," "Hooligan," "Got Love for Sale," "Tomorrow and Tonight" are just plain awful. 
They sound like rejected B-sides from Ricky Nelson. <laughs> Ricky Nelson. Wow. Okay. I don't know. We got a lot of feedback from people that were kind of like meh on Love Gun. I was shocked by that. Uh, but that's Twitter, Zeus. All right. Over on the Book of Face, not to be confused with Meta. Oh, yeah. I know. What the hell? Yeah. Patreon member Joe Decker. I was about eight years old when this album came out. The girl in the middle of the album cover used to make me horny as hell. Oh, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, still does. I think <laughs> that's the one with like the arched back and the, yeah. the oh, yeah. like pointing to the ceiling. Yep. Uh, Mark Paluzzo. Great cover. Great album. Great times. Jojo Michalisowitz. Wow. Ah, the chick with the floating head on the bottom left. Oh, my God. Yes. I got this when it was a new release. Haven't stopped listening to it since. Adam Stevenson. All right. Love gun. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Bob Brads. If you could replace Then She Kissed Me, Hooligan, tomorrow tonight with Rocket Ride, All-American Man, and Larger Than Life, this would be their best album, which I did myself. Wow. Okay. And if my aunt had balls, then she'd be my uncle, right? Exactly. Jack. Pinocchio. C'è la luna menzumara, mamma mia, mamma di date. E gli amici da dare, mamma mia, pensacce tu. Se te vegliano pesciaiole, isso vai, isso lena, se volo pesce manadena. Se cinga fa la fantasia de pesciole a vecchiozza mia La la re la pesce fritta in baccalà Uè gomba no calamara già giaccata What a way to start the new year. My all-time favorite Kiss album. I always thought that the solo and shock me sound like a power board or electricity wire sparking off and going crazy. Like, see you in the movies. Nice. Chad Fisher, amazing episode. Here's my signed album by artists Ken Kelly and Lydia Chris. Oh, sweet. Good for you. Yeah, it's awesome, buddy. Um, Helge Andreas Eligson. Uh-oh. I was only five when this great album was released, but now it's my favorite Kiss studio album. Got it on a normal CD and then the deluxe version. It's 10 out of 10 for me. Love, love, gun. Wow. I love the album more than anything in the world, but I, even I can't give it a 10 out of 10 just because of that friggin' turd at the end. Pavo Ludert Carmelo had just returned to Venezuela from living in the States, had seen Kiss on TV in the Halloween special in 1976, and Love Guns had hit the record stores in my country almost a year later, December 1977. Only one radio station played it. It was Love at First Sight. All right, Love Gun. Nice. Jack Croon, the title song, Love Gun, is the best written Paul Stanley song and maybe the best Kiss song of their legendary career. Ooh. You know, he brings up a good point real quick. I think the problem with Love Gun, I think we, when we talked about this during the episode, it just suffers from fatigue because it's on every compilation. It's played in every concert. But if you just step back and take it for what it is, I think it is one of the, one of the best songs Paul ever wrote. I, I just I do, but it, it's hard because you just get buried in that fatigue factor. 
Rodrigo Suarez. Mm, Kiss also received co-produced credit for the first time and Dressed to Kill. He's got a point. Yeah, but that's funny because we read that little factoid. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Good catch. David Roberts, just like Beth to God of Thunder. Then she kissed me while it wasn't a strong song. It made the next song even better. It's the contrast. That or Tomorrow and Tonight being the weakest tracks on the album. I still like them both. Wow. A lot of people hating on Tomorrow and Tonight. Wow. I know. They're idiots. Um, Charlie Kramer. I don't know why he's got a photo of himself in a tank top with an acoustic guitar and no comments. Wow. Okay. Is he wearing a love gun shirt or something at least? <laughs> no, it's just him smiling and he has an acoustic guitar. Get it. Eh, good for him. Maybe he was just, you know, feeling maybe, maybe he uh, put it on the wrong page. <laughs> Jason A. Warden in my best Paul stage rap people. I'll tell you, I got a feeling this is going to be a kick ass episode. Yeah. Brett Hartman prefer first three album covers. This, this when too much cocaine came in. What? On the album cover. Yeah. Don't get it, but everybody has a right to their opinion. Even when it's wrong, my friend. Exactly. Tony Smith. First kiss album I've ever owned in my favorite, of all of them. Mm, Nice. Tony Ray Gallus. My favorite kiss album from the original lineup in my top 10 kiss albums. Dude, that's not a very bold statement, putting Love Gun in your top 10. No comment on that? <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't call him the highest paid color man in the business for anything. Apparently. Uh, Joe Lutz, one more hot original song in place of that turd that is Then She Kissed Me. This record would be pretty much perfect. He's right. Bingo. He's, he's right, UN. He's right, UN. <laughs> Anybody that petitions can become a probationary tri-lamp. Uh, Jerry Carlson, I Stole Your Love is the best song ever, and it's even better on a live, too. My opinion. Now, yeah, as much as I love Love Gun, uh, I think everything, I think I said this during the episode, I think everything on Love Gun sounds better on a live, too. And I'm usually not a huge live album guy, but just the energy of those songs, especially I Stole Your Love. I'm with you, buddy. Robert McGregor. Now, see, this I get. He's got a photo of the love gun. He's wearing a T-shirt, and it's the love gun cover. Nice. On the T-shirt. And it's just really a shot from his, you know, of his T-shirt. Okay. I get that. That cool. makes sense. Um, Michelle Sims. I love this album. Got love for sale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. And, and then perennial pandemic paul ball buster oh tim breen oh jesus christ no don't 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 <laughs> got a, a sinking stanley singing some weird oh, lyrics to love gun or he's back oh that every guy. time i think he's banned or kicked off our group he comes back yep um i just I just wonder how much fixation somebody has to have on somebody. I told you my theory is that something had to have happened with him and Paul, like, like something at a meet and greet or something. Cause 
it's just not healthy <laughs> to have this level of vitriol for somebody. Just the, the, the amount of torture he tries to and the amount of energy he puts into these videos. Thinking Stanley, like, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? I mean, come on. I mean, we we, we tease Paul, but uh, it's, you know, I don't know. But we're not looking for shit. It's we'll tease him after he puts like a thing of him in his bike or correct eating gelato or yeah. you know whatever. But we're not <laughs> we're not creating videos of him doing shit. <laughs> Judge Judy, he's got videos of himself all over the place with all these superimposed sinking Stanley talking heads. Oh, it's too. Yeah. Whatever. Sometimes I feel bad finding myself laughing at it too. I feel <laughs> yeah. I feel guilty. <laughs> like I should not be laughing at this horrible shit. Oh, oh Jesus! Uh, but anyways, over on our Loudcasters group page, Tom, uh, let's go over here. Mick Watkins can't wait to hear the episode. I have a feeling it's going to get universally praised, but I think it's extremely overrated. My least favorite seventies Kiss album. I've heard it's amazing. Uh, there are people, a lot of people feel that way. Shocking. Some, Shocking. And then he wrote, give me unmasked over love gun. Yeah. Look, you know what? Having untreated mental illness is a terrible thing. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. <laughs> Mick, we love you. Mick's got his own band too. Mick's in a band. I follow him and he's got, he's, he's in a band doing his own thing. He's a huge fan of the show. Huge fan of kiss and rock, but. Dude, don't say love unmasked is better than love gun. Don't. Uh, our buddy Tony Musalam. Uh oh. Yes, finally. Oh, sorry, I had to wait for love gun. <laughs> Let's be happy. It was kind of positive. We love you, Tony. Thank you. Well, of course we do. <laughs> ben Rachi. I have just one glam question about this album, and then she kissed me. Why? Just mm. why you have all these great songs before it, and you think, yes, let's end it with a big, uh, and then they serve up this piss cake at the end. Great point. Uh, yep. Questions that'll never be answered. Olivier Villar, my favorite kiss album of all time. Joseph Collins, great episodes. Each one gets better. I always wonder why, when you listen to live to and watch or listen to shows from the tour, Peter's background vocals are so prominent live, but not on a live too. It's a great point. Wait, is he talking about they're not they're not prominent on Love Gun, but they're prominent on a live too? Or I think is he he's saying live too? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Probably because Paul was like, "Turn that fucking guy's mic down." <laughs> I don't want to hear Peter's voice in the background, Eddie. You need to fix that. You need to put that thing on mute. Yeah, <sighs> Pete Starros loves to put fucking. Gifts of Vinnie Vincent holding the guitar. What's this have to do with? Oh my gun? God. I don't know. Yeah, but you know what, though? Who doesn't love a Vinnie Vincent gif? Oh. <laughs> Normal people do not. Oh, come on. No need for Vinnie. Oh. Uh, Brian Stone, another three hour kick ass episode, 2022 home run. Do you like Kiss? <laughs> if you do, there's only one Kiss podcast that covers Kiss the best it has. Everything comedy, sarcasm, drama telling. Telling it like it is, snoring, etc. <laughs> Shout it out loud, Cass. That's awesome. Thanks, buddy. Michael Christopher, one of my all-time favorite albums, and now one of my all-time favorite episodes. Between Zeus saying Paul, Paul Stanley and the 
mork dork conversation. <laughs> it's a laugh a minute. And as always, very insightful. Keep up the good work, guys. Now, thank you, uh, Michael. And uh, yeah, doesn't look there'll be any cruises coming up soon, Tom. Yeah, well, yeah, because uh, as we're recording now, not not too long ago, uh, Jericho announced he postponed the Jericho cruise to 2023. Still no official word on Monsters of Rock, but I, I, I got to imagine it doesn't look good. But who yeah, knows? We were saying that we fucking threaded that needle. Oh, my God. We got the, the Kiss, Kiss cruise. cruise. Perfect timing. That perfect was perfect timing. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Matt Wallace. Oh, there we go. I've been waiting for this album review. I love this album. But ironically, I've never really liked the title track. I personally love Almost Human in Hooligan. My jean jacket had this album cover patch on it when I was 12 to 15 years old. Why is that I'm always on the toilet making fudge every time I comment? This is going to be an ever wipe. (laughs) No matter how many times I wipe, the mudge never goes away. And then he adds, as a matter of fact, my go-to tracks are Hooligan and Almost Human on this album. Damn it. Here comes another mud law. <laughs> what the fuck? Unbelievable. All right. Let's go to Instagram, Tom. We oh, okay. Instagram stuff. Druev. So Druev adds, can we have longer episodes next time? Uh, Brewer, nine times nine. Definitely the peak, in fact, the pinnacle of their career. Can't wait to hear the podcast. Our buddies over at Joyce Home Services. Yeah. Great album review, Teensy. Love Gun was my first album as well. I heard the song I Stole Your Love, and I was hooked. 11-year-old kid starting a 45-year ride. Love that. Uh, Jay Rucker, great episode so far. About three-quarters of the way through. Can't wait for you guys to do Gene Simmons' asshole one day. That oh, would be the best episode. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Oh, yeah. And he also adds, funny how you mentioned during Plastic Caster and MTV, how Gene calls out Bruce yep. before the solo. I've seen Grand Funk Railroad twice during the past six months. And before literally every single uh, solo, they call out him, which I noticed every time. Nice. And then finally, Tom, over on YouTube. Mark Stewart, you're going to hate me, but I love, love, love. Then she kissed me. Sorry, but that's how I feel. That's okay, I guess. Again, untreated mental illness is a terrible thing. Devin Dungan, great episode as always. Polly the Wog. Where does this fall on my list? Oh, yeah, absolutely the best Kiss album, cover art, design, and album. Destroy is close second on both fronts. But this is the pinnacle studio album for Kiss, in my opinion. Now, let's see where this one falls. My prediction, Tom, album cover number two, album number one. Zeus, album cover number four, album number five. Ooh. Okay, I couldn't wait. I skipped the rankings to see how far off I was. Wow, Tom, you didn't disappoint. Even better, double ones. And Zeus, how about that? Number two on the cover. I actually thought Rock and Roll Over would bump down Tom's cover pick to this spot. So surprised this was so high for you and nailed it with number five. He's right. So now I got to go back and listen to the episode. I just couldn't wait. Pathetic. I know. No, (laughs) it's not pathetic. I mean, this is why we everybody loves rankings. Everyone loves that stuff. Whatever you want. Jump around. It's fine. And you you guys will see something coming up soon 
that'll help you get that fix. Oh, the yeah. rankings and everything. You'll see. Um, Pete Starros, you guys have to do an album review for Destroyer. Also, Vinnie Vincent for president. Uh, okay. George Savastano, thanks for this. I love it. Din, 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 din. Oh, God, I like it. Din, 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 din. <laughs> Anthony Stratus, all right, love gun. Yes. Heavy mayo, is that what he does? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Antonio 2005. The not so handsome man draft was comedy gold. Oh, God. My number one pick is Naughty Holder from Slade. Yes. And I am told subbing in for the magnificent Morocco during the Love Gun sessions and playing castanets on Then She Kissed Me were a powerhouse duo known as the Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika. Oh, my God. With the guiding light. Captain Louis Albano providing creativity by their side. P.S. Who the hell is Mel Kuyper? The Indianapolis Colts fan still wants to know. All right. Mel Kuyper. I think is... he's joking. That's why he said. Oh, okay. He knows. Right. Okay. But go ahead. And if you feel like. No, I was. I'm... No, actually, I was going to jump in on the handsome, the handsome draft because our buddy Todd Harrig sent me a DM of a picture of him and Mr. Grimmett from Grim Reaper. <laughs> horrifying looking <laughs> ter- terrifying looking man but Todd I love that that was awesome <laughs> and the other great. thing I gotta add is Captain Lou Albano is in one of the all time greatest 80s comedies wise guy as Frankie the fixer and good god he has the best fucking one liners holy shit there's a YouTube clip of just his fucking lines on there on YouTube Frankie the Fixer, Captain Lou Albano. Oh, my God. Best Who else is in that movie? I don't know if I've seen that. You, Who else is- I quote it all the time. It's with fucking Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Yes. Okay. Make yourself available, Dick yeah. Face. It's Dick Steen. I'll talk to you later, Dick Face. Here comes another birthday present for you. Yeah. Frankie the Fixer. Oh, man, not him. Ooh, look at him. Ooh, he's oozing this way. Hey, Frank, how's it hanging? Give me a ball, ball give me a beer. Frankie, Benedict, you're looking good. You know? well, we were just saying, Frank, we don't see enough of you. You're exactly what I'm looking for, dickface. Hey, Frankie, the name's Dick Steen. Make yourself available this afternoon, dickhead. Dude, Joe Piscopo, underrated career. <laughs> what? Underrated career. Oh, and he has one of Tom's favorite skits of all time. This Justin, I repeat, buckwheat has been shot. And another one of my all-time favorite skits, him doing Frank Sinatra in <laughs> singing 80s pop hits as Frank Sinatra. Absolutely pissed hey, my Stevie, pants every time I see that. Stevie, who does your hair? You got no excuse. <laughs> Classic. Well, that Beatles broad. It's <laughs> a great one. Well, Tom, on, over to you, buddy. All right. Let's bang out a few emails here. Uh, this comes from Adam Stevenson. What a way to kick off 2022. I saw the teaser from DRC, the movie, earlier this week, and I thought you would finally review the album to start the year off with a bang. But I was greatly surprised with this choice since I rank Love Gun in my top three albums with the album cover being their coolest. What a fantastic review. This album has some of the tightest playing the band has ever recorded up to this point in their career, with the exception of that terrible cover song. I love how the songs are all about sex and cocks. True classic kiss. 
with the best tracks being I Stole Your Love, Shock Me, and Plaster Casser. As a bass player, even with that simple bass intro, it was so cool to hear bundled with those fantastic lyrics. I wish we could go back in time and have Peter at least record a demo of Tomorrow and Tonight. It really would have been perfect with his vocal style. After my third listen through of your review, I realized why I hated Almost Human all this time. While you two love the eerie Almost Human chorus, it's always bothered me with those soft falsetto-esque effeminate vocals. Something Zeus pointed out that now I will always notice. Nonetheless, a great album. I stole your love to Plastic Caster. It's great that we finally heard all four guys on vocals. Their versatility is what always will set them apart from the copycats. P.S. Will you fuckos please do a ranking of all the costumes from Kiss to Creatures and Reunion to End of the Road? I know it will be a four-hour episode, but it's a topic no one ever talks about. But I absolutely want to know more about each individual costume in your opinions. Cheers, boys, and Happy New Year. Thank you, Adam. Well, right now, we combine our costume review with our tour reviews. So that's kind of what we do. Every time we do a tour review, we review the tour itself, the set list, and the costumes. So that'll kind of fall into play with that there. But uh, thank you, Adam. Angelo Capasso. Wow, you two have done almost 200 casts, but I have to say your review of Love Gun was exceptional. This is what a true Kiss fan is. You both sound like 12-year-olds listening to the songs for the first time. Your excitement and passion was contagious. I know you make fun of the band now and again, but there is absolutely no denying your love for Kiss. This is and always will be a Mount Rushmore album for me. Got Love for Sale such an underrated song. It's shameful it's never played live. You pumped me up so much after listening yesterday. I played the album and entire album on my drums front to back, even then she kissed me. My only complaint is to Tom. Please listen to the lead guitar solo by Richie Blackmore on burn. You have, you have to respect his talent. Okay. Angela, first, thank you for the great email. Second, I love Richie Blackmore. I'm not Sonny Pooney. I love Richie Blackmore and I love that solo. I'm just not a huge deep purple fan. But I will always respect Richie Blackmore. The guy's amazing. Tom, amazing. Let, let me go off on a tangent here. Real Please quickly. do. So I, as many people that listen to our ARC stuff and you hear me comment here and there, I love Rainbow. It's a, it's a kick of mine. I just I love the band. I'm yeah. a big fan of them and everything else. But I never got into Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. So what I've been doing is diving into the Deep Purple catalog. And I'm loving what I'm getting. Because between that deep purple, white snake, rainbow, kind of Black Sabbath stuff, there's so much great music in there. And there, you know, Black Sabbath is similar to me as deep purple. Never got into them. Not that anybody says Black Sabbath. I never shit on the band. I just don't know it. So I never say anything about it, which leads me to thinking about there was somebody made a fucking comment about uh, somebody went, oh, oh, some fucking board and. One of the guys in our text group sent it to us. It was like some screenshot. And I think it was uh, our the guy, uh, um, Grayson Gallegos, right? Oh, yeah. Listens to the show from time to time. Um, I, I forget what he posted, but they screenshot it to me and said, oh, look, look what they wrote, Zeus. I'm like, whatever. He was complaining that, like, oh, sounds like uh, that meme that's out there right now. Like, I only I like new music. And then it's like, I like only kiss. Everything else sucks. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a podcast host. I know. Ooh, who is it? Fucking. 
You people are so pathetic. First of all, there's a huge difference. I don't know about all these people that have all this time to listen to new music. God bless you. I don't know where the fuck you guys find the time. We're not in our teens anymore. We're not in college. We're not in fucking. I don't have all this time to fucking have new music. So I have a short commute. I don't live far from my job or picking up my kid and going to school or going to hockey practice. Shit. So I've got limited time. I have friends that have podcasts I want to listen to. I have my own music that I like. I got to listen to. I got shows that we got to prepare for that I got to listen to. So when I find myself with a little bit of free time to listen to music, I find myself going to something that I want to listen because I've heard about it or I want to get into this guy. I do not have the fucking luxury free time or anything to be like, oh, let me put on this rock station and listen to fucking new music from new artists that I haven't heard. If there's something good, it'll come my way and I'll hear it. Okay. I, I just don't have the fucking luxury of going out and searching for new music as though it's my job to go out and listen to new music. I'd rather have the limited time and go back and listen to some Deep Purple that I never got into or Black Sabbath. To me, that's worth it, okay? But if somewhere along the line, a band like Hailstorm comes up and Sonny throws it in our face and I listen to it and I'm like, God damn it, what did I do? I I was bragging to you guys. I just sent out screenshots of some of the songs I've listened to. I bought on my own Hailstorm second album. And I'm like, fuck, I love this. This is great. But he became on my radar. That to me makes sense. Like it comes, you come across something that's great, but I'm not fucking, it's not my job. I'm not a journalist. I don't fucking have to go out and do hours of work and research to listen to new artists. Go fuck yourself. If you fucking like that shit, go ahead. But the big thing about it is it's the same thing on social media everywhere. The, I need to pat myself on the back. Because I'm a good music fan. I listen to new music. Whippy. Wee. Wee. Congratulations. I pat you on the back, but your fucking hand is in the way. To each their own. You like that shit? God bless you. I don't. I don't give a fuck. That's my rant. Tom, anything you add? Uh, yeah, so the th- his, the pro- the problem with, with new music, it's not that I'm ad- adverse to listening to it. So I, I have satellite radio, uh, and there's a ton of new rock stations on there. Octane is primarily the one that introduces new spotlight bands or, or plays newer stuff. Uh, and it's not that I'm adverse to new music. It's that nowadays, the last few years or decade or whatever, a lot of the stuff sounds the same. It sounds the same. So everyone's like, oh, listen to this new band. I'm like, like, because I, I I have Octane as, as a preset. And I listen, I'm like, fuck, it sounds like a few other bands that, that I've heard a million times. That's why one of my favorite, quote unquote, newer bands, they're not new, they're, their first album came out 20 years ago, but they're still putting out new albums. It's a band like Chevelle, very unique sounding band, metallic sounding, but weird kind of harmonic vocals. It's like an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, and to, to say, to kind of pick up what you were saying, like, if you want to listen to new music, fine, but beating people over the head with it. And, and, and I want to be clear. We're not singling anybody out other than these memes that are going around. There's nothing wrong with liking what you like. I mean, if and you bring up another great point, too. I don't know a lot about Deep Purple's catalog other than their hits. 
Why not go explore that? I know Thank nothing about. You. I, 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 I know nothing. You. I know nothing about White Snake other than slide it in eighty-seven, oh, slip on the tongue, all out, that stuff. Friend. Missing out. So if you're gonna spend time, I mean, again, I, I I will spend a little bit more time with newer stuff than you, and I think that's only because of satellite radio. Yeah, but, and you have a longer commute. Correct. I have an hour each way in my car. Yeah, yeah. I, I have yeah. a fucking five minute drive to drop my kid off at school and back, and I yes. work from home during the COVID. Yep. Go to my office twice a week, just pick up shit. Yep. So, yeah, it, it's a little tough. So if you're a, a person that like goes, you know what? I like White Snake. I like David Coverdale. Well, chances are, if you gave his older shit a try, you're going to fucking like it. So where am I going to go to? Are you going to sit there on the radio station on your own, try to find shit that's out there? Right. Or are you going to be like, you know what? I don't have Black Sabbath's fucking first album. I want to try that out. That yeah. to me makes sense. Yeah. To each their own. But it's the whole social media. I listen to new music. I'm, I'm a superhero. Wee. Yeah. Wee. Yeah. I, yeah I, I, I listen to new music. Yeah. I just bought the new album by a band that's been out for 25 years. I listen to new music. Yeah. No, if you want to listen to new music, you buy an album by a band that just dropped their first album. That's new music. Just in any of that shit. No offense. There's a reason why Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Queen, ACDC albums are still selling and selling. And when their vinyls get released and new editions, they sell, they sell because it's better. Sorry, it's better. Yep. Hopefully there'll be new artists that come along that can rival this. I haven't seen it yet. And if they do, great. I'll be the first one to congratulate and say this shit fucking rocks. So anyways. Yeah, nice try, rant. Try Deep Purple, Tom. And uh, again, I don't remember you shitting on Richie Blackmore. I just think you don't. You don't. No, no, know no, 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 no. And no, and that's what I wanted to clarify. I was yeah. shitting on kind of Deep Purple. Just in, that wasn't shitting on them. I just, I'm just not a fan. But I respect the hell out of them, and I love Richie Blackmore. Future ARC. Pick. What Deep Purple? Oh yeah. Well, and perhaps. In addition, but, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the uh, future draft pick. On the all ugly team, Ian Pace will certainly be drafted in the in the fifth or sixth round. This coming up on the ugly band draft list. Oh, absolutely! Oh, he's a sleeper pick. He could <laughs> climb up the draft rankings if he has if he has if he has a good combine. He could climb up the draft rankings. I don't know what's worse: those fucking sideburns, the fucking Gull- uh, Gallagher scullet he's got going on, or the fucking hats he wears. I don't know, but he no, is again, not. What you would call a handsome man. Again, that draft is not talent-based. It's all based on looks. <laughs> yeah, superficial shit. Um, all right, anyway, let's get, let's get back to some emails here. Uh, we'll wrap it up with this. Actually, no, we got one more after this. So we're going to All right, let's get to the emails. Yep, yeah, let's finish it up. We got Mike H., our good friend, Mike H. When it comes to Kiss albums and to better understand them or successfully evaluate them, I like to put myself in the moment. What was the previous release? How well did it sell? Were there any hits? What type of people did it resonate with and what type of music was trendy at the time and so on. Viewing any album from a historical sense requires these considerations because they aren't isolated or in a vacuum. They're usually a product of the environment. There are two types of Kiss albums, organic and those with a specific purpose. The later are peppered throughout their career where it is obvious they try to ride a trend or mimic a top selling artist or sound. Whether it's disco, metal, pop, grunge or a specific band like Bon Jovi. Kiss has a history of being unoriginal. Sometimes, yes. That being said, there are a few albums that are quintessential Kiss and can be pointed to as having the Kiss sound. 
Love Gun is one of those albums. In fact, it's the last album of the original members to be classified this way, in my opinion. Every release after Love Gun was a blatant attempt to cash in on a current sound or trend. It wasn't until Lick It Up that they released another Kiss record, in my opinion, but then they quickly returned to being followers for a long time after that. Arguably, the next organic Kiss release is Revenge. Love Gun is a great album, but has a few weak parts like Tomorrow and Tonight, which is an obvious attempt to write another rock and roll all night. It's basically the same goddamn song. But if you're going to rip off someone to try and get a hit, it's almost excusable if it's your own music. Another weak song is Then She Kissed Me. I have no clue why that piece of shit was put on this record. There was little to no chance of it becoming a hit, so the only reason I can give is pure filler. Love Gun is overall a great album, and it's obvious why some hold it as their favorite. Thank you for another great podcast and a long line of great podcasts. I am happy and proud to be a fan of your program. Keep up the great work. Almost human. Mike H. Awesome. Mike, you bring up fantastic points, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for that email. Appreciate it. And we'll finish up our emails with a very suspicious email Mm -hmm. from someone who goes by the name of Penelope Red. (laughs) This reeks of burner account. (laughs) I'm a new listener. I've only heard a few random shows to get a sense of the program. That's a lie. No one does that. (laughs) I'm guessing that I'm not quite your target audience based on some of the content. Seems like it's meant as a boys club, but I don't mind and try to give it a chance. That's also a lie. The fact that you seem to enjoy the discussions that are had makes the show more enjoyable than other music related podcasts I've heard. How these episodes are as long as they are kind of speaks to the passion you both must have in creating the content. What do you know? Another comment about the length of the episode. I wouldn't consider myself a huge Kiss fan to any degree, but I'm familiar with a decent portion of their catalog. Trying to rank song and album seems a tough task. Doubt I could do it well. I can't really even grasp the concept of ranking album covers. I guess I can see why Love Gun might be ranked number one for Tom, since that is considered peak Kiss of 70s, if not their entire career. Now, you've said the show was going to get even better. So I'm going to see if that is potentially true. Don't disappoint. Okay, Penelope fucking Red. Who are you? Are you our vice president of content? Who are you? Who are you, Karen Garcia, to tell, try to test Pedro Martinez, a proven player for, for 10 years? Usually this is me going off on a ramp, but good luck. Go ahead. Penelope Red. Guess what? It is a boys club. Go fuck yourself with your stupid email. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Penelope Red. You know what? Why don't you send us a picture of yourself? Prove that you're a female. Prove that your name is Penelope and that you have red hair. Okay, it's going to be sunny with the red. Of course, it's going to be a picture of Sunny Pooney dressed as, you know, friggin' Captain Kangaroo or whatever. (laughs) Sunny Pooney, what a piece of shit that guy is. (laughs) I love how when we call these Pooney burner accounts out, they never reply. Never, never, never Never be like, no, that's not me. Nope. The only time is when you joke to Twisted Kister, who we know is not you. Like, oh, this is a burner account. It's like, it's not a burner account. Yeah. We know it twisted kisses his yeah. own person. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Let's wrap up feedback with one right here. Facebook DM from Alec Nicholas. Want to let you guys know I absolutely love the podcast. I've been a longtime listener. I just never write in. I started listening to y'all around episode 20 something and got hooked. I was 18 when I first started listening, and now I'm going to be 21 in May. I even remember the old original Shout It Out Loudcast logo with the talisman on the record. Wow. 
I used to like Kiss when I first started listening. Now I don't. Haha, <laughs> just playing. I love them even more than I already did. Even my girlfriend likes Kiss a little more and listens to some of the episodes with me. She's by no means a Kiss fan, but she can tolerate them more than she used to. The podcast has come a long way and just keeps getting better. I can't wait for all the episodes to come. The ARC episodes are fantastic as well, and I'm always looking forward to those along with the new Zep episodes. I love what you guys do, and you do it well. Thanks for making a great Kiss podcast. Alec, thank you so much for taking the time for writing that. We love hearing people's background stories of Kiss fans, and thank you for the kind words for the show. And for that, Alec, you are our comment of the week. Good answer. Good answer. I like the way you think. We're going to be watching you. <laughs> and lastly, Tom, we also got another DM, though, uh, from Joe Papalardo. Yeah, Joe. OMG. I don't know which one I like more. Aces Peter Griffin Fountain Cola voice or your <laughs> hey guys Bruce Kulick how's it going <laughs> Asylum tour what a blast Paul Stanley oh he could sing thanks for listening see you next time tears have fallen what a video now hey, let's be clear this comes from a place of huge huge love for Bruce yeah, there's he doesn't have anything to mock. It's just the voice I think we can do. Right. Hey guys, Bruce Kulick. That's that's it. <laughs> After that, I, I can't think of anything. Hot in the shade. What an album. <laughs> Mark St. John. Tough break, shithead. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. By the way, I want to make a correction on Alex DM. That was Twitter, not Facebook. So I misspoke. Thank that's you, it. Alec. All right. So after thumbing through Hours of feedback on Love Gun. We still got a little bit more to go. But before we get to there, we always got to give a shout out to our Patreon fans. Yes. Yeah. Patreon is where people can contribute and help out the show. And with that, we offer little uh, trinkets <laughs> and uh, different things from us. T-shirts, stickers, sneak peeks, videos, all sorts of shit. Um, it's grown tremendously. Another week, another new listener, but not just any new listener. This one is good buddy of the show, Mr. Marty White. Wow. Oh. Wow. The great Marty White jumps into the Patreon yeah, family. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Marty White. So uh, Marty uh, jumped in on the demon tier. Uh, Marty is the, the one who's always on YouTube, YouTube. coming Love up it. with those hilarious, uh, stories and stuff. And his girlfriend is built. Like girlfriend Lou looks Lou like Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Marty joins us now. He's part of the Patreon family. And, uh, we, we like to brag about our Patreon family because they are worth it and they're awesome. And they're a big help to the show. So if you're interested in helping us out and joining the group, Please take a look at patreon.com, Patreon, the app, or in the episode notes, there's a link to Patreon. If you click there, you can see, read all about the tiers and see if anything interests you and join. Well, the, the crew keeps growing and keeps getting better and better. And coming up soon this month, the ARC Patreon pick. 
episode will be released. And boy, are you guys going to love that for multiple reasons. Hang on to your hats for that one, boys. Yes. And uh, it's going to be a great one. Thanks to our Patreon fans. So uh, Patreon, if you're interested, take a look. And I hope you can uh, join us and join in the fun. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much to all of our Patreons, especially the new one here. We got the great Marty White. Thank you, buddy, so much for being part of the family. And to everybody that is on Patreon, regardless of what tier you are on, any contribution, any tier, they're all amazing. They're all helpful to the show. And we can't thank you guys enough. It's amazing. And with Marty, you know, he's uh, very well known for pulling large pieces. No, he's very <laughs> well known for doing his YouTube comments. So we wanted to save it for for this period. So he made a YouTube comment this week, and we wanted to, you know, put a little a limelight on it. So uh, he writes, let me shed some light on that candy store lyric. Uh-oh. It was the early 70s, and I was in Brooklyn. I was exhausted from walking around and needed a sugar rush, so I popped into a candy store. There was a guy in there yelling at the proprietor about how he wanted to buy more candy, but he didn't have any money. It turned out he only needed a nickel. So I offered him the money, and he suddenly he went into a rage. Yeah, right, fucko. I take your nickel, and then you take me around the corner and make me suck your cock. Oh, Jesus Christ. Dude, it's just a nickel, I said. I might be a guy who dropped out of high school at 22, but I'm no dummy. I never said you were, I reminded him. I'm just a generous guy. Nobody's that generous, fucko. Five cents, look, I'll do you one better. I've got a car that doesn't work. If you think you can fix it, it's yours. This guy who couldn't afford candy was intrigued. We went outside to look at the car, despite the fact it makes no sense since I was walking. He took one look and said, that's a funny looking car, asshole. I said, it's a 35 Chevy on a 55 frame. (laughs) He said something like it was drowned out by Italian music as some dude rode by on a unicycle. My new friend waved to the unicyclist and said to me, that's my buddy, Jack. After some thought, he said he'd take the car. I tossed him the keys in a way he drove. The car backfired as he left. He stopped at the traffic light, wound down the window. On the corner, there were two Jewish guys around 20 playing guitars and singing, I'll be back by the Beatles. He shouted, I have a nine-inch cock, fuckos, at them. And this car backfired as he drove on. Years later, I heard Hooligan. And I realized the song told the story of the day in Brooklyn. I had my attorney write Peter asking for a small percentage. Since without me, the song wouldn't exist. I got a letter back from Paul and Jean's attorney. Since neither Peter nor his attorney could read or write. The letter included a direct quote from Jean. Some people like spaghetti and some people like steak. And some people like you don't get royalties. I can't wait for my kiss book to get published. People need the truth. Well, dude, Marty White is just friggin' legendary. I mean, come on. His kiss story. <laughs> There's usually a payoff at the end. Sometimes he lands the plane. Sometimes, well, it, it's a little off, but he's the best. Marty, thanks for that uh, post, and thanks for joining Patreon. Appreciate yes, it, buddy. absolutely, my friend. Yep. Tom, let's go over to Kiss World and find out what's going on over there. All right. So the big thing, this dropped uh, right after we recorded last week, and it is the announcement of the new Off the Soundboard. 
And yeah, uh, about as disappointing as you can expect. It is from Virginia Beach, 2004. It is from the Rock the Nation tour. Um, you know, the tour where they, you actually got a live CD if you wanted one. Exactly. So they're releasing it on special edition green vinyl and then a whole bunch of other trinkets, uh, a T-shirt, uh, guitar picks, cards, uh, all this other stuff. Um, I know, look, did I pre-order the green vinyl? Of course I did, because I'm a fucking kiss tart. Like we always like the people I make fun of. I have no I have no pride. I have no no shame. So, of course, I ordered it. And of course, I ordered it from Kiss Online, so I can bitch about that. Stay tuned for more in the news about that. Um, look, it uh, really 2004. Come on, the other one was from what 2000 or whatever it was. They they know that nobody fucking wants this. We want 80s. We want revenge era, hot in the shade, asylum. They Eric know Carr. That. Yeah, I mean, come on. Now, one thing I will say: the set list for this tour. I forgot. It's light years better than the end of the road. I mean, it's got Christine 16 in it. It's got she, it's got got to choose. It's got, I want you. It's got king of the nighttime world. It's got unholy. So it's got a lot of songs on there that, you know, that they should be playing on the end of the road. So I'll give them credit for the set list. I don't know. Of course you'll hear from us when it, when it arrives and we'll give you our thoughts on the album review. That's for sure. I have the uh, t-shirt from the first one. That's t-shirts. The best thing about that release. Yeah, uh, I like that green color. I think the T-shirt will look fine. Yeah, it's yeah, not bad. I don't give a fuck. You're right. I'll play it, download it, and fucking throw it in the corner. Never listen exactly. to it again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as Kiss Online, this is ironic because this happened just as we started to record tonight. I get an email from Kiss Online titled, Update on your Kiss order. Unfortunately, due to a delay with manufacturing in current circumstances, any orders containing the music from the Elder Limited Edition Picture Disc, music from the Elder Picture Disc, or the Rock and Roll Over Picture Disc are delayed in shipping. We apologize for any inconvenience caused by the shipping delay. These items are now expected to begin shipping the week of April 8th. <laughs> Kiss Online strikes again. These people can't get out of their own goddamn way. So, whatever. It is what it is. It's it's to be expected. It happens. I just thought that was funny that it happened right as we were getting ready to record. Why does Kiss Online keep fucking people? Why do they keep screwing over the fans? Why? Because fuck them. That's why. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, and other stuff in the news, if you really care about this, uh, Paul Stanley ingratiating himself once again on social media with the passing of uh, Roddy Spector. The passing of Bob Saget. Of course, he needs to get poetic. Uh, then, of course, he takes a a, a, a who fodded selfie <laughs> with him going on one of his bike rides. Electric. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Three weeks after shoulder surgery, going nuts. So I prescribed the best medicine I know of 25 miles on my bike. Okay. Whatever. Oh, it was a restraining order. Super fan commenting on that. Oh, I don't know. I didn't see anything. Oh, I did. <laughs> oh, you're my hero. How do you do it? <laughs> Can you do an endo and pop a wheelie for me on that electric bike? Can you go up the curb on fucking Mass Ave and do some bunny hops? Show me how you do that cherry picker, please. <laughs> do you, can you... Can you get me a pair of those mushroom grips you got there on your mongoose? Hell yeah, that was me. I had a mongoose with mushroom grips. <laughs> Fuck yeah. 
Oh God. Uh, that's about it. Really, not really nothing going on. I mean, you got anything on your end Zeus to talk about? No. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So before we, uh, get into our interview, why don't we take a break? Um, I'm going to go get myself hopped up on some Sudafed and, uh, I'll be back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. Thankfully, uh, we were able to tape with author James Campion um, yesterday. And uh, we got a nice, good, long interview with him. And and again, every time we have these interviews and do these things, we go into it with like, well, I hope he'll be engaging. I hope he'll be, you know, he'll be forthright, you know, commenting honest and giving opinion we're always blown away by some of these people that we meet, how gracious, how outgoing, how polite, how like just willing to talk about kiss. And and it's funny because when you talk about kiss to me, I can't find that conversation boring. Like I can imagine someone when they get into even like Zeppelin, sometimes you hear, you know, academics talk about Zeppelin and the sound and this, that it can get a little or the Beatles. And they start talking about it. Like you're doing a thesis in, in your friggin' doctor program, but with kiss it's passion, fun. And uh, James was no different, man. No different. James was really fantastic. I mean, what a pleasant surprise. So engaging, so friendly, so outgoing. You could tell how passionate and excited he is about this book. Um, you know, he put a lot of time and energy and, and love into it. Uh, it comes across in our interview with him. And I'll tell you right now, you know, we'll wait until you hear the interview and then we'll give you some kind of post interview comments on that. And so why, why James Campion? Why this book now? Obviously, there's a lot of interest because of the box set that came out. Uh, James was on our radar because this book came out, I think, 15? 2015, yep. Yeah. Right around the 40th anniversary of the album, yeah. Um, and everyone jumped on it. It's a thorough breakdown about the making of Destroyer. Now, James is going to get into all that and describe it. But to me, I find that this book is quintessential of one of the most pivotal points in Kiss's career. And it breaks it all down. This is uh, the details you want to know. He doesn't just talk to two or three people. He talks to everybody about the making of Destroyer. And this book is out on paperback. And as he says, he's like, his, his publisher is like, hey, your book is selling again. What's going on? It's like, oh, the box set. Yep. And uh, so uh, we were lucky to talk to him and his, uh, you know, his assistant and the publicist, and they saved it. And, uh, it, you know, to come around and talk to a lot of the, you know, the Kiss fans out here and talk about this book. And we were lucky to, you know, be one of the few shows that were able to grab him 
because uh, he's got another new exciting project coming up about uh, the song Hey Jude and the Beatles. So he's going to be promoting that. So this is one of his last times he'll be talking about this. So we're very fortunate to get him. And, uh, you know, the book is called Shout It Out Loud, the story of Kiss's Destroyer and the making of an American icon. And Tom asks an important question about this title. And uh, yeah, Tom, James Campion, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, it, it's it's really fantastic to to talk up to an author about a book like this because it's not just and and I forgive me for saying just because I don't want to minimize this thought of a Kiss biography because the Kiss biography books are amazing. This is more than that. You're reading this book, you know who Kiss is, so he's taking you inside the making of an album. He's talking to all the moving parts, all the people involved in. It's a really unique take on on a Kiss story because we're so used to reading the bios or the uh, or the autobiographies, and to get a book like this and his story about how he got to this point is just—it's really amazing. Uh, and we were just thrilled to have him. It was a really, really exciting conversation for us. Yeah. So, without further ado, here it is. All right, and we are excited to welcome our guest, Mr. James Campion, author of Shout It Out Loud, the story of Kiss's Destroyer and the making of an American icon. James, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you and talk about this unbelievable story of uh, what people regard as the greatest achievement by Kiss. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Tom. Zeus, love the show, and I really appreciate being on. Thanks for having me. Really Awesome. Well, with the box set that just came out, there's a lot of renewal about you know, destroyer and what it means for the band. And I think it's perfect timing to get James on and talk about destroyer, even though we haven't done our album review on destroyer. I think most people know where we stand on it. Who likes this a little bit more than the other, but uh, you can't talk about this uh, kisses achievements and albums and music without destroyer being at the top of the list as one of the, one of the key focal uh, achievements in their career. So, uh, James, before we get into that, we always have this thing called the Murph questions, which is uh, Tommy's old college roommate and my friend, too. We grew up with him and he was our first guest. And we came up with these questions and said, we're going to ask everybody that comes on these five questions. So you're no different, buddy. And uh, they're, they're pretty easy. Um, and it could be with the caveat of today or could be growing up it doesn't matter uh favorite kiss member um i would have to stay paul stanley only because every time when i was 13 i dressed up as paul and and in uh i think like five years ago or six years ago my wife and i and another couple we even dressed the kids up uh (laughs) i was paul my wife was peter my friend was chris my friend chris was gene and uh, and his wife was uh, Ace, so awesome. I'm gonna have to. I'll have to go with Paul. There you go. Nice. Your wife is great, man. You married up if she took Peter. Um, <laughs> favorite Kiss song? Again, it could be today. This is my favorite Kiss song. It could be uh, one one that sticks out all the time. Pick that one. Whatever you like. It, it never changes for me. Uh, and nice. one of the really the impetus of, of writing the book, Detroit Rock City, I think is one of the seminal and great rock uh, songs of the 1970s and hard rock songs ever. Um, yes. I'm partial to Black Diamond. Uh, mm-hmm. I love, you know, everything, all the extended songs like 100,000 Years and She on uh, the Alive record. But for me, pound for pound, 
Detroit, Detroit Rock City. Sweet. Now, <laughs> this is kind of going to be um, putting it right up on a tee for you. Favorite Kiss album? Yeah, I, I'm, go- I'm not going to go with the obvious and say Destroyer here, which, <laughs> okay. by the way, I spent three plus years of my life writing about when people were back there telling me, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I have to say the box set definitely vindicated me. Uh, yeah, nice. definitely Destroyer. But I have to say the first Kiss album I ever got for eighth grade graduation, I saw a kid walking with it. Leon Cooley, I'll mention his name, seventh grade. Nice. Had the record under his arm, and I said, what the hell's that? You know, I loved horror movies and comic books. Before I heard a note, I was hooked and uh, got Kiss Alive and played it till it warped. And then a couple of months later, got Destroyer. So I, I, just to be different, I'll, I'll, uh, for this, for this uh, podcast, I'll say Kiss Alive. There you go. All right. Sweet. Now, how many Kiss concerts have you been to? Ooh. So I never did. I was a little young to see them in the 70s. Um, I, I saw the comeback. I saw the, the you know, in 96 at the yep. Garden. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And then I saw one of the ones. God, it's a blur. I think it was 2011. The, the couple that I was mentioning, the, the, my friend's wife yeah. works for an advertising agency in New York City and got free tickets for me and my friend. And at the time I was like, do I want to see this thing with the guy who who's the guitar tech playing ace but i gotta tell you i gotta tell you i it was great we were like two kids we got great seats right on the stage and you know gene was looking at us and pointing at us and waving his tongue and we were like two kids again it was it was a great experience so uh, i guess the answer to that question is twice okay Perfect. do you have a favorite kiss memory or moment wow that is a great question that is a great question. Um, not including interviewing Paul Stanley and Ace Freely and being in a hotel room with Ace for an hour and having laughs. And I almost mean <laughs> I almost that can be an episode in and of itself. It was, it was only a couple of years ago, so it's the sober Ace. But um, <laughs> you can't tell. Ace and I, I, I've always felt you know I almost said Ace when you asked me a favorite you know Kiss member because Ace and I are both in the Bronx and we grew up very close uh, mm. in proximity. Yeah. Uh, you know, ace older than me, certainly. Uh, but we uh, and I was out of the Bronx at 72. Uh, but um, so getting to meet those guys and interviewing those guys, I guess, would be as a journalist, a kiss moment. But as a kid, probably getting, you know, destroyer and, and opening like I described at the beginning of my book, opening the, the, the record and just being transported to this other world that all kiss fans, I'm sure, who listen to this podcast and you two guys know what I'm talking about. There's mm-hmm. something about that, especially when you're a kid, it gets into your DNA. So I'll say mm-hmm. that. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So let's get it. Let's get into the book. So the book came out in 2015. All right. And like we talked about before, there's been, I mean, kiss fans always love destroyer, but there's been a renewed interest to really take a deep dive in it, especially with that box set in, you know, this, this book. So let's start right from the beginning, I guess. Tell us, you know, what prompted you to dig into a kiss book and not just another biography, but to take an album and, and get, and take a deep dive into an album of the band. Well, if I could think back the first impetus, the, the first, you know, spark for me was I had no idea. I don't really follow the rock and roll hall of fame. So back in, I think 2010, 2011, I, I realized someone had told me that kiss wasn't in the rock and roll hall of fame. And then I found out Alice Cooper wasn't even then in, in the Rock and Roll. You know, 
two, two, two entities that I cover in the book that dominated my childhood in the seventies, especially for us, you know, white suburban kids in Jersey where I was at the time. And uh, I wrote this piece for the Huffington Post. Can I curse on this show? Oh, are you kidding me? Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Literally. Thank you for title. thank you for asking, but okay, go ahead. Yes. Literally the title of that piece was what the why the fuck is Kiss knocking and then the Rock and Roll of Fame? Of course they put the squiggly lines and everything in the Huffington yeah, yeah. Post, but but uh that got so much feedback and and so much furor. And 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 I was a small little part of the whole Tony Morello and all these people coming out at that point and being like, what is going on? Or Tommy, I should say. And, and they, they, there was this whole movement. And I thought, you know what? There's always been this thing. Back, back in when I was in college, we would do these symposiums with other guys studying to be music journalists or journalists. What are the best rock albums of the 70s? Blah, blah, blah. And I would always say Kiss Destroyer, you know? And they'd be like, what? So I'd have to convince them. And so combined with that, I decided to choose it. And at the time, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but at the time, there's still a, a series of books called 33 and a Third. You guys know mm-hmm. about those? Yeah, I've heard of them. They're like glorified essay, 10,000 word books mm-hmm. that are small little pocket books, and they, they cover albums. And I, 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 contacted, I noticed they didn't have any real hard rock ones. Later on, they did ACDC, I think. But So I asked them to do uh, Destroyer, and they liked the idea. So I, I got a treatment together, and I sent it to them. And again, this is a 10,000 word book. And as, if you read my book, you know it's well past that. So um, I started doing interviews. I found Quirky Stasiak in Long Island, and he introduced me to a whole world. And at that time, I had just interviewed uh, Alice Cooper for my job uh, at the Aquarian Weekly, and he was telling me about Dick Wagner and Bob Ezrin. So it all kind of kind of coalesced, and I thought, there could be a book here, and I think it's a larger book. But I lost them as a publisher, but I'd already mm. started. So I spent the first year, year and a half of the book without any you know stipend, without any advance. Or, so it really literally was a labor of love to dive deeper into this record. So I guess that the, the longer answer was there was two or three things that kind of led me to go back. And, and then I thought, you know, Destroyer, like I said, it, it kicked my ass when I was a kid. And it kept, even later on when I got out of, you know, Kiss and I was listening to other music and I got older and got to college and I would never give up on that record. And anybody would ask me, hey, you know, what's a cool record, you know, from the 70s? I'm like, try Destroyer. Because it, was it wasn't ever on anyone's radar, mm-hmm. like after the 70s. You know, a lot of people forget that when, when Kiss fell off the map, mm-hmm. they really fell off the map. So, oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. was pretty much it. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about is like it, it, it's for me, I, I look at it as when you say destroy your album of the 70s, when people say, oh, the movies of the 70s, oh, the Godfather, the Sting, all those critically acclaimed movies come get thrown out. But no one really says Star Wars. Right. Or Return of the uh, well, Return of Jedi is eighty three, and I think Empire Strikes Back is eighty. But regardless, right. but no one says Star Wars because it's like, oh well, you know, it, it was fun, but it's not a critically. Cl- I feel like Destroyer because I mean, we there is a lot of similarities in the Kiss Army and the Star Wars fandom, but there's a lot of that. Oh yeah, that's fine, but it's not like this artistic achievement that you know the Stones album from the seventies or anything like that. It's but so it is. Funny. It, it, it you know, is it's so funny you mentioned that. So there's another series called the IFC books, which are mm-hmm. the in, in, independent film, you know, uh, uh, these these small books that these these essayists write. Yeah. And I felt the same way that you're talking about. Now, this is people are going to find this shocking now because it's now considered one of the great classics. Yeah. But I think Jaws fits in there. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and for years, even after Schindler's List. I, I always said that Jaws was the finest movie that Sp- Spielberg made. And this woman who wrote the essay made that argument in that book. And, I, and that I really have to say, now thinking back, I'm glad you mentioned that, Zeus, because 
it really did make me feel like this is the point because a lot of my my fellow uh, music journalists and authors like why this book but i was like well there's enough jokingly enough because i just wrote one but i said there's <laughs> enough book of, books about the beatles or there's yeah. enough books about you know pet sounds you know yeah. it, this is me making my argument not only for destroyer but for the primacy of kiss and give them a little bit more gravitas a little bit more intellectual now i'm not saying i looked at it like an intellectual but somebody did ask me if i was a musicologist or I was an educator when I went on their shows and I said, no, I'm glad you're asking. I'm just a journalist. I'm just yeah. an author, but I wanted to raise the bar. And that's why when I was on Eddie Trunk's show, I got a kick out of the two of us saying, he said, that's my whole career is to make people understand that hard rock music is just as important as the music from the sixties and seventies that everyone still celebrates as groundbreaking. Excellent. Absolutely. And, and, and you know what I love too? And it's a little thing that we pick up, but kiss fans pick up everything. The, the, the subtitle of the book, Making of an American Icon, that's a statement. And, and, and a lot of people might see that and be like, oh, American Icon, that's kiss, destroy that. Like, like Zeus said, like we said, that's fun. It, it, it's not Queen. They're not the who. Well, they are. And I think the fact that you didn't do a biography of the band, but did a story about an album and not just the background of the album. But like you said, it's it's an argument for the album. It's an argument for the band. I, I can't imagine anybody not saying that Kiss is not an icon. They're probably more iconic, or I, I, to use it more to the specific iconic, creed, you know, the the idea that their their makeup, mm. their persona. I've said this many times. It's even beyond a band now. It's a subculture, and it's almost a cult. How it has transformed over the years, and they did something completely unique. It wasn't unique to the 70s because you had Bowie before him and the glam movement before them and Alice Cooper, which I give chapters to. And I know a lot of Kiss fans are like, there's too much Alice Cooper in here. I don't know how you get to Kiss without Alice Cooper. And certainly the Bob Ezrin connection was the reason. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But the they are the whole package of image. I mean, they were they had a comic book. They had a movie. They, I, I think they're more like the Beatles, not musically. Yeah. We're not even so much influenced because the Beatles are another level. They're Shakespeare. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, this other thing. But the, the Kiss tapped into the same thing for 70s kids. And it has survived long past all the bands that outsold them, like the Eagles or Fleetwood Mac. They're still selling out stadiums. They still have a, 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 a cruise. <laughs> they still yeah. have all these we products that people buy. We were on it. <laughs> yeah. it's, inc it's incredible. So <laughs> I think I, I thought maybe it's a heady title. And I, I did come up with the subtitle and, you know, it, it, the, the publisher didn't really fight me on it. But I said, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm telling the story of Destroyer, but I do believe in that story. And I think my book depicts it. And I think it's pretty much accepted um, history now that without that record or that few months in 1975 into 76, I'm not sure you get Kiss. I'm not sure you have the history of Kiss. I don't, I'm not sure we're still here talking about this. Mm -hmm. So I thought at that moment they did become icons. Mm -hmm. yeah, one of the things I want to touch upon is like you talked about influence of the Beatles. Obviously, there are certain artists throughout history of music that have just touched on something. Now, other artists may be bigger. Fleetwood Mac was a bigger band, even Aerosmith and things like that. They had bigger hits, sold more records and things like that. But you go through history, I would say Elvis. How many people like the Beatles and everybody else or the Stones or anything like that picked up because of Chuck Berry and Elvis. How many people because of the Beatles picked up and influenced like Paul and Gene and all them. And then you have Led Zeppelin. 
I would throw Kiss right there because that whole LA scene, all those bands, none of that is out there without the influence of Kiss. And for a while there, in you know the mid '80s, early '90s, that was the number one genre. And every one of those bands that were on that, ruling those charts, would have thrown top five influence Kiss, guaranteed. All of them. Yeah, especially the grunge bands. You know, the guys like in uh, you know in Pearl Jam, and uh, yes. I made. I made the note, and I know they were sending it up, but I made the note that Nirvana recorded a a, a version of "Do You Love yep. Me." Oh and, yeah, they did. <laughs> Anthrax and all the guys I, you know, the guys I quote in the book, uh, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, you know, uh, a big fan of the book was um, uh, their drummer. So uh, I, I think absolutely because they grew up in that period, right? Those guys are a little younger than me, or mm-hmm. right around my age, and we grew up with that stuff. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Elvis stuff because I, I did have one small thing I put in the book, and I've never talked about this in any interview. So I'm, I'm going to bring it up because you you did. There's a moment in the book where I was saying Kiss got a lot of crap for, for just painting their faces and becoming an image, right? And then, you know, forgetting all the other stuff. And because the writers were very haughty, and Paul's talked about this for years, Paul Stanley, the, 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 the rock critics were very haughty in the 60s and 70s. We've got to protect them. We got to protect the brand, man. It's yeah. real. It's got to mean something. I mean, even people like Lester Banks were hammering the stones and, and John Lennon in the 70s and mm-hmm. Lou Reed. So there was a lot of that backlash. But I thought about it for about five seconds. And then all it takes is five seconds. When you think about Elvis, right? Elvis was what? The rockabilly, you know, freak show. He's the first shock rocker. Then he becomes like the, the you know, the, the black-haired, leather-wearing movie star. Then he becomes the gospel-singing, suit-wearing, comeback special guy. Dylan, he's Woody Guthrie, hobo, singing on a train. Then he's the pilled-up, skinny, mercury-sound guy with the electric guitar. Then he's the, the woodsman out in Woodstock doing his thing. You, mm-hmm. you, the Beatles, they're the Fab Four with the cute haircuts and the uniforms, like Kiss. Mm-hmm. Well, no, now they're wearing mustaches and they're Sergeant Peppers. Now they're long-haired hippie men wearing, you know, jeans. All of these things that people use to say, well, Kiss is not that. They did the same thing. Everybody, mm-hmm. Madonna, a Prince, Springsteen. Springsteen went from the hip poet beat guy to every man hanging out mm-hmm. with my jeans, singing about working on the highway. These things are the same thing as putting on leather. And then when, remember when punk came in? Oh, punk was mocking things like Kiss. What do you think the Ramones are? The Ramones are Kiss. We all got the same names. We all wear the same clothes. We all got the same haircut. (laughs) We're all from Queens. You know, that's Kiss. So I always thought that was a bullshit argument, and I'm glad you brought that up. Elvis. That's that's so perfectly said. So let's get, let's get into some of the, into some of the details of, of the book in the interviews. Tell us, you mentioned Corky. Yeah. Was he the, the beginning of like, how did you decide where to start? Like, because there's so many moving parts with destroy, you know, there's, there's the, obviously the band, there's obviously Ezrin, there's obviously, you know, a, a lot of things going on. Where do you, how do you know where to begin and, and what directed you to that? Was it organic? Like, like the book itself? Well, it's, 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 there's a, without getting into how the sausage is made, but I, I love you asking <laughs> this question, Tom, because I love talking about the craft of research and writing. Yeah. I was just interviewing a fellow, a fellow author today who has a beautiful new book um, on, uh, on, on uh, Kurt Vonnegut today. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how you go about your research and, and the fun and the unbelievable open road that you have when you start, because it's all there. You could do it. And, um, what I did was, I, I, I have to say it was selfish. I wanted to meet Bob Ezrin. When I was a kid, I loved reading, as we all do, the credits. 
And Bob was on all the stuff I loved. Alice Cooper, Pink Floyd, and, you know, and, and, and those early, you know, the, that Lou, my favorite Lou Reed album is Berlin. So I, I you know, and, and of course I love Destroyer. So I was like, wow, I want to meet Bob. So that was, that was one of my little selfish things. But the, the, the simplest way to tell you this is the very first thing I did, I swear, I got the Yellow Pages out and I looked up Stasiak. I found out Corky's first name, Stasiak, and I, I called him up and wow. he answered the phone. He answered the phone. And wow. he was in Puerto Rico at the time. He had a house in Puerto Rico. That's a great story. He told me yeah. uh, uh, that he ended up using the lyrics from whatever gets you through the night by John Lennon when he was, when he was helping engineer uh, John Lennon's walls and bridges record in 1974, mm -hmm. John gave him those lyrics. He put it in plastic, got them to authentic. And then they, he and his wife bought a house in Puerto Rico <laughs> based on those. lyrics. Wow. Then, <laughs> so he's, he's living in this house and he answers the phone and, I've never connected with a person doing interviews in all the books and all my time that I did with Corky. He starts talking to me about the record. I'm not running a tape. I'm not have a plan. And I go, Corky, can I call you back? And we have this conversation again on tape. He said, absolutely. Let's do it. He goes, you got to talk to Jay. You got to talk to Jay Messina. Mm -hmm. So he gives me Jay's number. And the funny thing about it is Jay and I hooked up before I ever did the interviews with Corky. So technically Jay was the first official interview I did. So okay. I had both engineers, cold and i got the making of the record and that's when i decided i can't do i can't do the the 33 and a third ten thousand word series what i got to do is i got to dive deep into this and and remember about how records were made in the 1970s organically in mm -hmm. a studio oh yeah with guys having to worry about what amps are there and where the mics are and what guitars and how i just those guys brought me into a an amazing world and they introduced me to all these record plant guys who are all so excited they're all like this they still get together like every couple of years and have a have a like a party in, in New York City together. And, wow. and and all the original guys show up. It's it's amazing. It really is. That that's how I started. And then I guess the the big whale there was getting Ezrin, I'm assuming, finally. Yeah, I was calling my, my the whale is a good one. Yeah, he's my Moby Dick. Uh <laughs> it, he was my Wizard of Oz. It took me one year, and I've said this in other interviews, doing the um waiting for Bob. And he never blew me off. And his assistant, and her name escapes me now, she was so great. Oh, I'm really sorry. He really wants to do this. He was working on the you know, Welcome to My Nightmare 2 with Alice. Um, he was working on a Deep Purple record. He was really working. And uh, they kept me hanging on the hanging. But it, what happened was it gave me that extra six to eight to ten months. And since I wasn't hanging on a publisher or a deadline, I didn't have to come through because I didn't have an advance that I had to make up. Yeah. But I was able to wait. And I knew I'd never wanted anyone to see this manuscript unless Bob, if Bob told me no, I would have trashed the year and a half working. I really would have. Wow, real <laughs> Maybe I would have gone back to the, to 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 uh, continue on publishing. Who was who were doing it now? Bloomsfield, I think publishers do thirty three oh. and a third, and and would have said let's do a shorter version. But 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 luckily when Bob came through, and let me tell you, he's as intimidating as you expect. <laughs> really, stories from Jay and from Corky and all the other guys who contacted me through the record plant. Bob was a beast man and he scared us all he made us cry you know he 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 was a wild man he had the three c's cognac cigars and cocaine and he came hard <laughs> yeah and um and they called him you know he's like al pacino and so um when he first got on you know he was what you expect you know what's this what's this but about 10 15 minutes in he knew i did my research that year really helped me yeah. and he just we spent like three four sessions over about three four hours and 
Uh, I'll never forget it. And it was one of the great, and we still keep in touch. It was one of the great, uh, the great um, payoffs and joys of working on that book. So when you're talking Bob Ezrin and you're talking destroyer, all, any kiss fan is always aware of the quote unquote boot camp that he yeah. put the band through some of the, the, you know, the horrors, you know, a lot of people talk about Peter Chris and I, I, Peter Chris is a standout on this album, but Peter Chris paid dearly with blood, sweat and tears on this album. Did Bob talk to you about the quote unquote boot camp, or did you hear that from the producers, the engineers, the band members themselves? No, no, he's, he's well, I will say also, I want to mention to you guys, there's hardly any sentence that Bob told me, even afterwards, stuff that he told me in emails to qualify some things yep. uh, is in that book. There's nothing I left unturned. Because a lot of people say, well, I spent four hours with him. You probably pulled out like 20 minutes worth of quotes. No, no, no. That book is thick because I wanted Bob to be in everything. And I know I've been accused of you know, having some sort of love letter to Bob. And Bob, the good news is, is he's working on a, a, on a memoir right now. And I was oh. trying to get him. To, I wanted to be his biographer. And he kept wow. saying, I'm not dead yet. I'm getting blah, blah. So finally, he contacted me last year and he said, I've, I've begun. And I sent him all my tapes, which he, not only of, of he and I, but I sent him Dick Wagner, the late Dick Wagner, who loved mm-hmm. him. And he worked with and Kim Fowley, the late Kim Fowley, who both gave me their last long form interviews about the record and working with Bob. So I'm so glad he's putting it down. But um, he did come very, very clean about the boot camp. And, and this is before. And from what I understand, he's had a little bit of a falling out. With with Paul Stanley, I know he wasn't involved directly mm-hmm. with the bo- with the box yeah. set, uh, so I don't know where that lies. But again, this was was 2012, 2013, 2000, maybe 2013, 2014, and Bob was very very open about how much how hard he had to work with the guys, how they looked at him like he had three faces when he said seven four time, or <laughs> we're going to do this in a flat, we're going to do a, a you know a ninth harmony on this part, and you know, but he said to their credit, they even Ace. They buckled down and they got the stuff done, especially for the basic tracks and especially the brilliant aria, which I call it in um, in Detroit Rock City, the solo. So oh, yeah. they gave of themselves. But, yeah, he had to break it down and get out a blackboard. And he said, I didn't do I think I'm quoting him right in the book. He goes, I didn't go back to like fifth grade base one, you know, uh, piano, which is what my daughter had. You know, <laughs> like when I hear my daughter play, I always yeah. think of Bob yeah. um, is um, is the he just wanted them to understand the language of music because he was speaking in that creative language. And Corky tells that great story about how Bob was cinematic and he was visual. And he said, I work with Barry Manilow who used to do jingles. And I've yes. told this story a million times, but you know, when someone says, I want to hear the song smile and nobody knows what the hell that means. But if you, if you're Bob or you're Barry Manilow, you do, and you can make <laughs> a song smile. And, 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 um, and Ezra just wanted those guys to understand that. The way he wanted to understand how he wanted to give them a little bit more softness. And he, and he used that, that the, the wild one with uh, Brando and, mm-hmm. and he used that. And, and he said, once they started to get that, I was able to communicate with them. And I, and I love that story. Oh yeah. Wow. It's a couple of things that come to mind when, uh, especially the relationship, Paul and, and Bob. And from what we understand, what I recall, it's, I think it was uh, Bob was on, was it was on Eddie's? Eddie Trunks thing when I think so. he made a couple comments about music from the elder Paul, who's we all joke about is the most sensitive man on earth. Like he can't hear anything unless positive. If it's positive about him, fine. But if it's anything negative, he doesn't forget. And uh, apparently that led to a fallout between them. And then I heard Bob was upset that, you know, he has to watch what he says because his relationship with Paul was, was hurt. 
Actually, I think it was with Julian. <laughs> I think it was when Bob oh, talked with Julian. Yeah, and yeah, then he right. told and he told Eddie Trunk that that's what the problem was, the rift between them. But right. then last year, remember, Bob, uh, Paul put out the photo. The picture. Of him, yeah, with on his bike, hugging Bob Ezrin. And it was like a big deal for all us, you right. know, Kiss fans to see this. Oh, my God, is, what is this going to mean? Are they going to do an album together? You know, and of course, nothing. But it, it, it seems to me, though, because we were joking. We just talked about Love Gun. We just did our album review about Love Gun last week. And even Gene threw out the comment about Eddie Kramer. Well, he's not really a producer. You know, he's more of an engineer behind the knobs. He's like a knob boy. Like, I've never heard, and maybe I'm missing it, anybody really go after Bob in his technique or expertise. I feel like they're all still like, okay, Mr. Ezrin, like have that level of respect and that fear, even though like maybe they've surpassed him in importance in music and rock and roll, whatever. They still look upon him like, yeah, like that's Mr. Ezrin or something. They still have that intimidation. Uh, Well, Bob has that intimidation over the band and they, Told the line. I haven't really seen anything really too critical of him. And they all talk about techniques. Uh, Paul still talks about techniques when they did revenge and albums after revenge that, oh, that's a Bob thing right there. That's a, like things that he picks up on from Ezrin. I, I, t- you tell me, did you feel like after doing all this research about the, the level of respect they have for him? No question. And everybody who's worked with him, they may be pissed off at him, like Roger Waters or, or, you know, many of the people who have worked with him. And then he was, you know, overbearing the guys in Alice yeah. Cooper. And, but the thing about Ezrin is I, I equate him to say, oh, he's not as crazy as Phil Spector, but in the sense. <laughs> it's not shooting up people. Yeah. Right. Or, 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 and he wasn't crazy, but the late great Prince, anytime you have somebody like Prince or Phil Spector who could do everything, play yeah. piano, play bass, play guitar no harmonies, no, you know, and not in the case of Phil Spector, but Bob is classically trained. Those guys are worth their weight in gold. I mean, even the Beatles who fought George Martin towards the end because they wanted to get their ideas out more. George Martin could translate that stuff really well. And with Bob, he not only got involved in a record. I mean, I had people tell me this after the fact when they read my book, they're like, so glad you brought that up about Bob because Bob wouldn't just say, you get these producers are like, okay, let me hear what the sound is. All right, yeah, it's too much bass here. Bring this down. This chorus goes on too long. Okay, let, let's run it down. I'm going to go out and get a cup of coffee. Come back two hours later. I don't like this. Do this. You literally have producers like that. Then you have other producers who kind of just lord over it and see how it goes. And everybody's got different styles. Eddie Kramer worked with uh, Jimi Hendrix. So he just had him play and then made sure he got the sounds down. And that's great. You know, yep. uh, again, without Eddie Kramer, you don't have a live. You don't have a live. You probably don't have Destroyer. So you get all mm-hmm. that stuff going. Uh, but you, you, with Bob, he's writing the songs, he's arranging yeah. the songs, he's, he's, he's helping. And that's why I put in this, in, for this album specifically, the making of American icon, Bob said, you guys are, you, you're the demon, you're the lover, you're the ace, you know, the spaceman, you're the cat man. We need to get this stuff in the songs. We need to get this in the whole soup. You're missing this. You know, Alice was the, was the, uh, it was the, you know, the punk in love it to death. The first one he produced for Alice Cooper. In, in Killer, he was the desperado, the murderer on the run. In Schools Out, he was the goofy, you know, delinquent. In Billion Dollar Babies, he was the monster crossing America. They, they had these, di- and he goes, now you've got all four of these guys. Destroyer has to be your libretto. It has to be your manifesto. So that's why Bob is so influential and mm-hmm. so intimidating and stays with you because 
he gets into making the record. He's not just there. And, and, and I think Gene is undercutting Eddie Kramer. Oh, so he, he was. was. Oh, he was. Yeah. But he's not Bob Ezrin. You know, Bob is a different oh, yeah. other level. Yeah. Yeah. So with all the praise that everybody gives Bob Ezrin, and rightfully so, he deserves it. Uh, there was a lot of people, a lot of fans, some people in the Kiss camp that heard Destroyer yeah. and said, what the hell is this? There's an orchestra. There's a choir. There's Calliope. There's what, 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 what happened to hotter than hell and dressed to kill and the rawness of alive. What is this? And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I, that's one of the reasons, yes, I respect and love destroyer for what it is, but even kiss went back to Eddie Kramer for the next two albums. And did kiss feel that maybe they one stepped it a little bit with Bob Ezrin? Well, they, but first of all, Ace and Peter didn't want to get their ass kicked anymore. So they were done with that. Right. And of course, you know, Eddie ended up producing Ace's wonderful solo album from that yep. period. Uh, that was a little later, obviously. And also, you know, again, Eddie Kramer saved the live. So, and he, he recorded, which a lot of people think, and I don't argue with, is some of the finest raw kiss ever, which is the demos. So you look at Eddie Kramer's mm-hmm. history with them, mm-hmm. you know, in, in uh, Electric Ladyland and then later on the Nanuet Theater for Rock and Roll Over. And, um, and I've been very candid in all these interviews and a lot of KISS fans bust my balls. I, I don't think that Rock and Roll Over or Love Gun is as good as Destroyer. I spent three years on it. That's not a shocking thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think the songs are there, certainly the production. But um, there's, there's no way to tell exactly how KISS could have been without going through the Bob prism. Mm-hmm. But I think what really made them panic and I've said this in, in interviews yeah. as well. I think Cream Magazine and Circus Magazine hammering them for going off the reservation really scared them because mm. they had no, and, and as much as Kiss like, we don't need to press, those, those magazines really helped them a lot. Yes. And without that, if they felt they went off the reservation, so they panicked and that wasn't really fair, which ended up being an embarrassment later on because they played all the Destroyer songs for the Paul Lynn special. So yeah. Beth coming back, mm you know, made them revisit that. So they already right. had rock and roll over out and was touring it by the time they did that in October of uh, late October of um, 1976. Six, so, yep. <clears throat> right. So, excuse me. I, I don't, I think that kiss was, in, you know, and, and Bill of coins, a big part of this too, who sent a letter mm-hmm. to Bob that he read to me over the phone, Bob uh, Ezrin uh, about like, you know, you've just, des- you've destroyed us. Basically you can't no all pun intended, no pun intended. They, 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 you know, we can't, go forward with this because we're getting so much backlash. But wow. I will say one thing though, guys, if you think about the straw, I understand the whole narrative is the first three rec- records, which didn't sell by the way, yeah. uh, that were very raw. And then alive, which is great, which is mostly not a live record, but it, but sold. Sure. That destroyer tells you more about what you see from kiss from the rest of their career, which is again, a point I make in my book than those other albums, because think about it. The th- and I've said this many times too, in uh, interviews, Kiss is, wasn't like ACDC or Aerosmith. You do, and I love those bands, but they didn't do the same records all the time. You have a Destroyer. Then you have a stripped down record like Rock and Roll Over. Then you have a poppy record like uh, Love Gun. Then you have, well, I didn't even bring up the solo records, which is a total departure. Mm-hmm. Then you have a disco, not a disco record, but a pop record again in D- Dynasty. Then you have a new wave record in uh, Unmasked. Mm-hmm. Then you have a, a, a concept album with, with even crazier things and crazier Bob yep. <laughs> in, in music from the elder. And then you have creatures of the night, which is a heavy metal early eighties album. Kiss, Kiss did more experimental things than anybody from their genre 
And Destroyer really is, in my estimation, the kickoff of that. When people said, is Destroyer the culmination of that first part? No, I think Destroyer is the kickoff mm. to how Kiss managed their career for the rest of their time. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, uh, Destroyer sticks out because you're right. I think before Destroyer, the band had their music and then you saw the stage and the, you saw the outfits and you see someone spitting fire, someone's dripping blood, whatever. But afterwards, now you got the album cover with the cartoon craziness and it's just, I, I don't care. I, for me, that visual of that album just just is incredible. And then the songs. There's a God of Thunder. Yeah. Wait a minute. There's a ballad in here called Beth. Then, you know, uh, you open up with Detroit Rock City. I, I mean, for me, it, it, it just now you got the opener for the rest of their careers. You got songs that last. Shout it out loud. You got that party rock anthem kind of again. It just fits the band perfectly. And it's the over the topness, which is what the band is all about. They're not just any old rock and roll band. Now they go back to the stripped down songs and things like that, but there is nothing like as over the top as what destroyer is with all these different elements. And this is the album for me that I can sit there and I can say, if anybody's like, Oh, you know, what, what about this band artistically, this, and that, Listen to this album. Listen to all the little sound effects, the little things you pick up, the nuances. And I know it gets tiring and people say, complain about like, oh, Detroit Rock City. I don't want to listen to the car starting up. Oh, God of Thunder. Shut those Ezrin kids up. I love that shit. I Uh fucking love that shit. And those are all Bob things versus, you know, I Stole Your Love. Boom, right into Love Gun. Imagine if Ezrin took those songs. What would I stole your love be? Another car theme or something like that, right? right? Yes. Or or love gun? Well, how would that start off? I, I, I mean, I th- the thought of having Bob hit some of those other albums is incredible. What he would have done to them, and I love it. And Detroit um, Destroyer sticks out because it's the only one from those early the the original six that is like that, and it's just completely different from the rest. And I enjoy it for its uniqueness. Yeah, uh, Bob, and I was just actually, I, I was having this great conversation with Michael Cobb. Uh, I wanted to mention him in this podcast today because he he's the guy who found all the music for the box set and he went through all the archives. And mm-hmm. he and I had a really nice conversation last evening and we were talking about all the sound effects and all the different things that Bob had on the table that he found in the archives and all the different things that he was going to add to this thing and really make it a, a like a film almost. And, and that was his words. And, and Michael's right. And... And I, I mentioned it, and Corky mentions this, the, cinema, the cinematic aspect, the visual, yes. the combination of sonic and visual. And, you know, and that's what it introduced me. And when I was a kid, again, horror movies, comic books, sound effects. And when Bob tells that story to me when he was a kid and he went to his uncle's house, he'd go in the basement and he had those, and I remember those, those Monsters sound effects records that would, they would play with stereo and everything. He'd put the headphones on. And Bob Ezrin, the little boy, taking the piano lessons, was combining that macabre, the kind of things that Alice Cooper told me many times, because I've spoken to Alice for years now. Uh, and he always tells me, we're like two little kids, me and Bob. We get together and we say, let's make it creepier. Let's make it weirder. 
Let's make it sicker. And we push each other. And they do. And like I said, with each Alice Cooper album. So for me, Destroyer is like the perfect thing. It's mm-hmm. like when your baseball team goes and trades for a player you love that wasn't on your team and he joins your team, <laughs> you know? And, and for have Bob, you know, join the kiss thing when I'd already been so seeped in Alice, it was, it was a dream. And I, and I agree 100% with you, Zeus, in the sense where I, I, I love, I even love the lineage of the kids. You mentioned the kids. No, oh, yeah. I love them. I, I love them. He, oh, and Bob said to me, I always thought kids were kind of sinister. Oh, Not yeah. with their voices, but having the kids laughing around the, like cherubs around the God of Thunder and the way he used yeah. his, his same children, his two sons yeah. on the Lou Reed album. And he got all those kids to sing the school's out, you know, uh, and, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard the school's out box set that they came out with a couple of years no. ago. It no. has Bob coaching these kids up. And he's yelling at them from the control room. You're pissed at school. You hate school. <laughs> Tell him you. And Alice is going, come on. And they're, and they're singing. And <clears throat> everything he used with the child. And we don't need no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All that stuff. His use of children and the lineage that he brings. It's almost like Quentin Tarantino making films using the same kind of actors or the same themes. Mm. Love that. Just love it. I don't know. I can't imagine anybody that didn't grow up with an imagination you know, wouldn't be completely swept away by that. Yeah, I would love to get the uncut of those kids and what exactly are the phrases and subtitles that you would hear from those kids on those walkie-talkies. It's just, it always, so when I I get a chance, I play the, you know, Destroyer for my daughter, who's now 13, but, so I'll be like, listen to this, and she's like, what are they saying? Like, it doesn't matter. You hear like chains moving, you feel like it's, the Christmas Carol, Jacob Marley, and this chains moving, and you're in like this haunted house. You don't know what the hell's going on. Is that a guitar solo? It's just like, <laughs> what is that? And you're just hearing yeah. these people, and I don't want to, I don't know what the kid's saying. I don't want to, screaming <laughs> shit. You're like, holy Christ. And in the middle of this, you're like, the song kicks ass too. So you're like, holy Christ. Yeah, this isn't just, like I said, I stole your love. Get up there, Paul, and rip a fucking great you know, guitar riff. It's just to me. Uh, and, and by the way, and, and by the way, yeah. And by the way, Bob Corky told me Bob did not. And Bob told me too. I didn't come in with some grand plan and slather it. The idea of bringing the kids and giving them those goofy guns and making those noises. That was just like, let's try this. The idea of the binaural recording, the idea of the beginning in the car, the, all that, I, all that's like the calliope. Bob's like, I, it's gun, 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 gun. I hear a calliope. Let's go find one. Yep. So it was organic. It was just as rock and roll as anything else, you know? Yeah. What was what would you say, you know, we're, we're going to you know, we can't thank you enough for your time. We'll kind of start to come to a close here. Sure. What would you think, in your opinion, on all of your research, all of your interviews, all the information that you had going into this? What was one of the biggest or you know, one or two biggest revelations, either from a band member, a producer, an engineer? We've talked about Bob because he's the big man on top of Destroyer. But some of those other key players. Anything that they provided in terms of production, recording, comments about the band members, but even their behavior, anything like that that really sticks out that when when our when our when our listeners read this book, that they're gonna be like, holy shit, that's awesome. Ooh, great question. I have a couple. Um yeah, one- save it. Don't tell them all. Let them buy the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, one of them, and it's in the book, um when Paul is rooting gene on when he's singing and gene is there every time each one of them does a vocal they root each other they're right there with each other 
I thought that was really sweet. And I thought that really does give an indication of how they survived over these decades and about how they recoached each other. And they, 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 they supported each other in, in the studio, in the vocal part of it. You know, we don't think about it. You know, you, you got to go in there cold. You've laid everything down. Now this is the thing that carries the song. Um, the other one for me was that, that kiss had been gone when Bob and Corky and, and Jay did the opening part because they realized that the album was 20 minutes long and they needed to at least be over 30 minutes. Mm. And they, they concocted that whole thing, um, you know, again, off the top of their heads. And to me, the, the real culmination is Shout It Out Loud. And that's why I thought it was great to name the book Shout It Out Loud, because that was the last song they recorded, the last song they wrote together. And it was the way the record went. You know, Bob lived about four or five blocks um, away from Paul. And Paul lived about, had an apartment about five blocks in Midtown Manhattan from Gene. And they would get together in Bob's apartment and they would sit by the piano and they wrote this wonderful Motown, you know, call and response song, you know, that I remember listening to at pool parties when I was in eighth grade, you know, jumping in with my friends and, and thinking those guys, you know, were really crafted the song together and they all went in and recorded it together. No aggravation, no replacing ace with anyone or, you know, another guitar player, no Peter bitching about his hands, killing him. They went in and recorded Shout It Out Loud together. And, and, it, and it really, I love that. That was, a, that was a revelation of how that came together for me. And Because I, I was wondering how they put the record together. And there's so many more, but those are three. Mm. The top of my head. Yeah. Mm. That's awesome. Now, um, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is the box set and Resurrected. Any quick thoughts about that on those two items? I loved Resurrected. And I, the funny thing about it is Bob was talking to me about Resurrected when I was interviewing him because it was right around that time. Yeah. And he, he, was, he marveled at the fact, his big revelation, is that he realized all that stuff was already on the tapes, that they didn't separate any of the sounds and the echoes or the, 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 um, the, the sound effects. One of the things I thought was, was funny that Michael Cobb told me yesterday was that he found those two missing, those two secret tracks that are on the box set, 23 and 24 yeah. tracks of the mm-hmm. car, the longer car where you could actually yep. hear Corky singing along and the yes. car crash. He said, Bob couldn't find those when wow. he was looking for, to, to do resurrected. That was funny. He couldn't even find it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I liked resurrected. I liked the beefed up bass on it and everything like that. And of course, anytime anybody pays attention to destroyer, I'm there. Yeah. Um, but I was disappointed because I, someone had put out that there was going to be a box set years ago. I know I mentioned this on Julian's podcast and, and of course it was, bogus it's a hoax but when this came out you know yeah. obviously and i've said this many times i felt like a little kid again and oh, the yeah. fact that I, when i talked to michael and i talked to ken sharp a good friend who helped me with my book who did the liner notes for it yeah. and of course julian who who contributed some stuff all those guys were cracking up because they all couldn't believe that i didn't know what was going on they kept it so hush hush and at first when people would ask me well did they reach out to you do you are you bummed that they didn't find it? but you know michael did tell me and like other people have said that you know the book was informative it was there but, I, but just like Bob not being involved in the project, I did my thing. And, and, and I'm glad it stands on its own. And I did it back in 2015. And the box set sort of is a vindication. I don't want to call it that, but a culmination of my work. Yep. And also the fact that I could look at it as a fan mm. and not be like involved and see the sausage being made again and just get it like a, like a yeah. kid again. I'll tell you, that day I got it on the 19th, and I was lucky to get it from Amazon because I know Kiss Smart online. man, <laughs> me too. We talked about that. <laughs> and I just was so happy, you know, and I was just so jazzed. And I, I still look at it. It's in my little record collection here. And and uh, I, I don't know what you guys think. 
I, I absolutely loved adored it. it. I thought they loved did it. the best that they oh, could. Loved it. That's yeah. the first time in a while that anything Kiss has put out that I'm like, holy shit. A real and wow when you factor. opened it and you're like looking at all the little goodies in there. And then wait a minute, there's another package of goodies in there. Holy shit, there's more in here. You right. were, I was like a kid again. I I I was overwhelmed. Um, the one last thought I wanted to get to before we let you go. And as much as we've been praising Bob, there's one thing that eats me when it comes to him. And the one thing that I felt like it was a detriment to the band going forward. And that was his, hey, let's just bring in Dick Wagner and he can do this. That led to me to ghost players, the ghost players that came on where Gene and Paul are the hard workers. The other two can do this stuff and they're part of the magic. But now Gene and Paul are like, well, you know what? Fuck it. We'll get somebody else. Fuck it. Get somebody else. And then the other ones are like, well, they don't need me. They don't treat me like this. Then screw it. I don't give a shit. I think that was a major problem going down. And then at the end, you're having albums where Peter doesn't even play. You're like, oh, is Ace even on this? No, that's Bob Kulik. And I just think that was a problem. And I wish that he never brought in Dick Wagner, but we know that's that's something that he does. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And I think I, I think I add one sentence in the book to it. And I, I thought about taking it out, but I thought, no, I think it's right. I think I, and I'm paraphrasing myself here, that there were fissures already there. And this mm. record cracked them a bit. And of course, the cocaine with Ace being introduced to that, which he yep. admits and no regrets, that really threw him off. And I think that did open up. Anytime you open up that avenue, whatever avenue, it gives you the excuse, the experience to go back absolutely. to it. And they <clears throat> certainly, I think any Kiss fan would, would agree, abuse that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. James, this has been fantastic. We can't thank you enough for your time. Please tell our listeners um, where they can find you before we started recording. Uh, you started talk telling us about a brand new book that I think a lot of kiss fans, a lot of our listeners, we know are huge Beatles fans plug that and tell people where they can find you. If you have a website or social media, I would, but I did one thing. Cause we didn't talk about it on, on, on the podcast. And if you give me, sure, a, please indulge take, me for 60 seconds. Absolutely. Take as much time as you want. So before we started, you both, you guys talked about the book and you asked for a copy and, and I'm very interested and I'm not looking for praise here, but you guys are true kiss fans. Yeah. What was the thing about the book that you enjoy? What was the thing that you might've learned? So it can inform me going forward. And I will, I will take a few seconds to talk about my new book, but I, when I work on future projects, because that's important to me. And I mean that sincerely, what, 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 if I can put you on the spot. What did what did you if you did? I mean, I'm on the show, so I'm assuming you like the book and you said yeah. something nice about it at the top. <laughs> but what what was it? it? Can you give me one thing that you that you enjoyed about the book that that uh, maybe I can, you know, I can I can tell you for me yeah. when you're into the boot camp, like I felt like I'm Peter, like dealing with it. You put you put the person in. You take away from oh that's the Catman, that's the Spaceman, oh that's Peter. Christ. You make the person the reader feel like, are you huh. shitting me? Like, I felt like that's me because I'm also, you know, I'm a Peter fan. So I obviously felt that more. And I felt like those were just the details were perfect, not overdone, explaining to you. You could feel the picture and you were like the fly in the wall that's watching this stuff. I'm not saying it's like get back documentary, but it's it's there (laughs) for us. Kiss fans, we feel it. And I know there's all those other books out there that, you know, break it down biography. Then they did this. Then they did this. This isn't there. This is a, a period, a window in that short time. And it's 
And I, I, from all the books that I've read, I've never felt as close to the inside baseball, inside information as I did in this time period, as with your book. I really felt it. The details and the work that you put into it is it's quite evident. Thank you. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm the same way. I See, for me, I have a huge <clears throat> library of, of rock books, music books. I know Zeus does too. I, I read these books because I want to see quote unquote, how the sausage is made. I want all those details because I love music, not just listening to it, learning about it. So hearing being put in the studio and like Zoo said, a fly on the wall, what the band was going through, what the producers were going through, what the, the, the picture that you paint as both a kiss fan and, you know, somebody involved in, in this time period of kiss, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And I think that's why the book is so unique about all the kiss books that are out there. We have the, the biographies from all four members, you know, we have behind the mask, which we use all the time as a resource for this show. It's a fantastic book. Um, You have a couple other books in their, you know, biographies, but this is a period where the band was transitioning, you know, after a live getting their feet wet with a new producer, learning new things and, and launching them into the stratosphere about what became destroyer and, and you know, what, what was, what laid ahead after that. Um, so I think the, the way the, the picture that you paint, I just think it's remarkable. And I think that's why we're so excited to have you on to talk about the book, but to just obviously tell you how huge fans we are of the book. Well, I thank you. And, and again, I wasn't fishing for compliments. I, no, I, no, no, no. I just, it's very informative for me for true fans and people who dig deep. Uh, to know what they got out of it. And, and I didn't even have a chance to mention my, you know, wonderful contributions by Dennis Wallach, who did all that great work. Yes. Ken Kelly with the painting. Those yep. guys' stories were important. And to yes. know it's not just the four guys and it's not just Bob Ezrin. It's not Casablanca Records. It's, it's hundreds and dozens mm-hmm. of people, really talented people that needed to be uh, heard. And this is true of all, all different bands. And I always thought that Kiss got the short shrift as far as like real, you know, serious music journalist critique but also the people who were around them, because it's just as hard to make Destroyer uh, and Rock and Roll Over as it is to make Pet Sounds or mm. Dark Side of the Moon or Rumors or just Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So that's the kind of thing I tried to bring to it. So thank you guys both mm-hmm. for that. And um, yeah, so I have a new book. I, so I decided to write a book about an album. And my last book was about Warren Zevon. Yep. And mm-hmm. it was just a series of essays about his songs. So I was trying to mine the artist through the music. Try to find the bio instead of a straight bio. And this time I was inspired by my mentor. And and now I I must say at least a pen pal, Grail Marcus, the dean uh, of all uh, rock critics, who wrote a wonderful book called Like a Rolling Stone, um, Bob Dylan at the Crossroads. And some of my other friends, Alan Light, who wrote a book about Hallelujah. um, And uh, Dave Marsh, who wrote a book about Louie Louie. So I decided Mm -hmm. to write a book about one song. And it was hard. I must admit, but I picked Hey Jude by the Beatles because wow. when I was a kid and the song, the, the, the name of the book is Take a Sad Song, The Emotional Currency of Hey Jude, because that, mm. that song has had a currency, both a, a, a electric currency through the years and also like dollars and cents, you know, pay yeah. off. It's a payoff song and it's continued to work because Paul still plays it. He's still alive. And we all know the Beatles are still in the transom with the get back thing this past, mm-hmm. uh, you know, November. Yes. And as my friend Rob Sheffield, who helped me with the book, who wrote a brilliant book called Dreaming the Beatles himself for Rolling Stone magazine. He always says, you know, the Beatles didn't happen. 
they're still happening. And I feel that way about Kiss too. Mm. And so Hey Jude always spoke to me. I, I, I loved it as a child and, 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 it, and it was always my favorite Beatles song. And I thought, what makes songs work? Not just Hey Jude, but why do we love a song? So I interviewed psychologists and musicologists and historians. And, and I decided to just, and, and songwriters and Beatle biographers. And I just said, tell me why we give a shit about this. Why yeah. does it still make sense? Why does it become number one for nine weeks? Why does it still become this iconic song? So it was, it was fun to do. And I'm glad you asked me about it. It's out in May and you could pre-order it now. All my books are on my website, jamescampion.com. I sign them and send them out free shipping for anyone in the continental United States. But you can find my books anywhere, Amazon. I know there's, a, um, there's an audio book now for Shout It Out Loud. So um, anywhere nice. you can find books. So Excellent. Excellent. So his name is James Campion. The book is Shout It Out Loud, the story of Kiss's destroyer in the making of an American icon. James, this has been a thrill for us. We're, thank you so much for taking the time uh, and just talking about the band we love and an album that we love. We can't thank you enough. Keep up the fine work, both you guys. It's it's a fun podcast, and it, it was a pleasure to be on with you guys. Thank you for the the hour. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, thank James. You, Take James. care. Much thank appreciated. You. So there's James Campion, our interview with him. Uh, we hope you guys love that as much as we did. You could tell how excited he is, how passionate he is. Uh, even after all these years, you know, it, it, the book's not brand new. He still talks about it like it is. You could just tell it was a it was a a labor of love for him. He put a lot of time into it did a ton of research and it was kind of organic. And, you know, he was a flag waver for kiss waving that flag, talking about how people aren't bringing up kiss albums, especially destroyers, the great albums in the seventies. And it just evolved into this amazing book about this album. Um, And not only that, after we recorded, we continued talking to James about music for about another half hour, started getting to Elvis and the Beatles music in general. Uh, It was just really great. And, And I'd like to think, that, you know, we may have established some kind of friendship here with James where, you know, talk to him in the future about other KISS projects or, or whatever you have. But uh, really, really proud to have him on. And uh, he, he was a wonderful guest for us. And we hope you guys think the same. Yeah, I, again, I said it earlier, but I'll repeat. It's always awesome when you meet these people and they turn out to be even better. Uh, and James is, <laughs> you're right. We went off on a, a big detour started talking about the influences of Elvis and all that other stuff off the air. And we're both like, I know we can talk for this for an hour. And we kept going and going and going, but uh, he was very gracious with his time. Uh, He has a lot of info. This book is very detailed. It's amazing. Uh, You guys will love it. And I don't know if you don't have it on your radar or you do, but please. And he loves to hear, you know, what your thoughts are specifically. So in the episode, when we link this and put this up in our uh, Twitter, Facebook and uh, and Loudcasters group, please comment on it. Tell them what you liked about it or even if you didn't, but be fair about it and be honest. He wants to hear about it. Uh, We'll have a couple things coming up with James, though. uh, We talked about you'll see him in the future with Shout Out Loudcast. Uh, I think I think we did uh, establish a rapport with him. And uh, you guys will uh, really get a kick out of this book. He's a great guy. The book is fantastic. I mean, we do a Kiss podcast. Destroy is one of the greatest albums they've ever done. And here's an in-depth book about that process. So, I mean, I, you guys have to jump on this. Uh, take a look. And please 
tell us what you liked about the book or, you know, hopefully not what you didn't like. But uh, James is a great guy. We're very happy to have him on. and We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. So one other thing, Tom, is because this is a book, we're going to rank this. Yes. And so thankfully, he's not on this uh, at this present moment. But let's see. We'll be fair about this. Um, oh, absolutely. We, we Every book, well, with the exception of the Paul Stanley books, uh, you know, we've interviewed Brian Kennard. We've interviewed Joey Casado. We've interviewed Greg Prado. So we've been honest. Yeah. But, so uh, let's see what we reviewed. We've reviewed Sean Delaney's Hellbox, Brian Kennard's book. Yep. Uh, Shouted out loud the story of Kiss Destroying the Making of American Icon, James Campion. Uh, backstage pass, Paul, Paul Stanley. <laughs> Start with a dream. Joey Casada. Uh, take it off. Kiss truly unmasked. Greg Prado. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the cover, Tom. Do okay. you have your, your rankings, how you've ranked them so far with covers? All right. So my cover rankings, I got take it off. Kiss truly unmasked. Kind of an interesting take on uh, what's going on within the asylum era there. Start with a dream with Joey Casada's handsome face. Sorry, Joey, you're not number one. Sean Delaney's Hellbox. I love that cover art. And backstage ass, I mean, pass is last uh, because it's just a ridiculous picture of Paul. You don't like Paul's Pumas? Ugh. Paul Stanley. I don't. So where does Shout It Out Loud go? For covers? Easily, it easily goes number one. It's, I mean, the cover of the book is the cover of Destroyer. It's, uh, you know, it's the artwork. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, kind of tempered for a book cover, but it's the cover of Destroyer. Definitely number one. All right. All right. All right. Uh, for me, uh, I have Take It Off, number one, Sean Delaney's Hellbox, uh, Joey Casada's Handsome Face, number three. And backstage ass with Paul at number four. <laughs> and like you, Tom, I am putting this at number one. Nice. Yeah, it deserves. You're right. It's fucking destroyers. Yeah, cover. exactly. It's an album cover. Oh, I'd rather look at Joey Casada's face. Well, not really. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. Let's go to the actual book, Tom. All right. Want to read your ranking? Sure. So for for the books themselves, take it off. Kiss truly unmasked. One of the great underrated kiss books out there. Uh, then I got Sean Delaney's Hellbox. That's a, another underrated story. Start with a dream. Joey Casada. Great autobiography by our buddy Joey and backstage pass, which is just brutally unreadable. All right. So shout it out loud by James Campion fantastic book uh, a unique book is as we said it goes in depth into one album it's not just another biography um it, it's tough because all these books are so great in their own way in terms of the kiss world or you know whatever but you're talking about destroyer you're talking about getting into the weeds with people like bob ezrin corky stasiak the engineer all the producers and it's it, it's it's the sweet spot of kiss's career and because of that, I'm going to put it number one. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I love, I'm going to say this right now. I love Take It Off because it's an unusual book that covers the unmasked or non-makeup era. And it doesn't have any input from Paul and Gene. So I love that book. And I love how he has 
outside musicians commenting. It's a it's it's a great book, but Destroyer is just like that. You're right in it at the peak of Kiss, like right when they're turning into like the superheroes of the world. So, okay. So, Tom, I have Take It Off, number one, Start With the Dream, number two, Sean Delaney's Hellbox, number three, and last, I don't know who what's going to beat it, Backstage Pass. Like you, I'm putting this number one. Nice. Um, it was close because I really love Take It Off because yeah. it was, it's a it's a niche book because it's it's not just one album of Kiss non makeup. It's the whole era. It's very encompassing and it's a, an era that's not really discussed much. However, right. a book of this massive proportion, close to four hundred pages on the making of Destroyer with everybody involved. Yeah. Oh, tough to be beat. One. Yeah. Tough to beat. He does a good job writing. I like his style. Oh yeah. Uh, it's yep. not too academic. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. I felt like a fly on the wall and, uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, happy that we were able to get him on to talk a little bit more. So, um, that's my number one. So James, your book is number one on both of our lists. So thank you for that. That's right. Thank you, James. Uh, I wish we had a prize for you, but I don't know, maybe someday we will, but you're number one right now, buddy. So Tom, what we do next is we have our question of the week. Yes, and our question of the week comes from the legendary LP Sterlino. No. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, We could paraphrase this if you want, depending on how much time you want to spend on it. But he says, what do you think is the biggest regret from each of the original four members individually? Oh, Jesus. Oh, um, pick what pick pick one member and I'll pick one member. Well, I mean, we. Can, I mean, unless you, I, I can do it quickly. I mean, okay, I'll be honest. Because it doesn't have to be the right one. I'll just throw one out there. Yeah, I would say for Paul, I think in his mind, I think is uh, doing the elder. So I'll jump in here with Gene. I would say his biggest regret. Gene's a very proud guy, so he would probably never acknowledge any regret. He, I did everything for a reason. It's what makes me grow as a, you know, blah blah blah. I would say if you were forced to make him issue a regret that it would be him drifting away from the band in the eighties, losing focus of the kiss thing, you know, dating the celebrities, doing the movies and and having Paul steer the ship, even though me and you have said a million times how much we think the jeans 80 stuff is underrated. But I think if he was forced to acknowledge a regret, maybe that would be it. You know, maybe now that I'm thinking while you're saying that, maybe I would say Gene would probably say how, uh, you know, how he was publicly with Shannon, maybe. Because he yeah. seems to have turned his like the leaf about being a, a dog and being a bachelor. Maybe yeah. he wouldn't publicly boast that he's banging chicks yeah. while being with her. So what about maybe a, he regrets what, doing embarrassing her like that. What about Ace and Peter? They got uh, a lot. They got a lot of regrets. We got a lot. Well, of, we got a lot of them. I, I, the, I think the easiest one is Peter giving up the makeup. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because he has no money from that, and I would probably guess to say. Uh, Ace is probably maybe he regrets fucking being lazy and not in, in like we talked about not doing the solos and having Dick Wagner come in, yeah, do the solos or maybe not putting his foot down and be like, fuck no, I'm the lead guitarist of this band. Nobody's doing a solo than me. All right, for for me for Peter, this might be a little weird because me and you have both said we wave the flag for Peter's solo album, but I'm wondering if Peter 
not regrets a strong word, but if Peter thinks shit, if I didn't make that album, if I made an album that was filled with more hooligan, hard luck, woman, baby driver, black diamond, maybe that would have done something with my trajectory within the band, et cetera, et cetera. He did his solo album the way he wanted to, because it was a passion project of his and God bless him. But it was completely out of left field and alienated a lot of people and kind of he was mocked by some of the band members for it. Um, In terms of Ace, I would say Ace's regret would probably be maybe being so passive. And I know that's easy to say when you're dealing with big, giant personalities like Paul and Gene, but maybe standing up to them a little bit more when they tried to do things that he didn't want to do. And I know he talks about how he was outnumbered, you know, because Paul and Gene run the show, but maybe trying to fight a little bit more, even though that's not in his personality, but I don't know this could be an entire episode, but that's a great question. Still, you know, well, you forgot about Paul, but before you do Paul, oh, Paul, I think Ace would probably all say, why didn't I get two fountain colas with my pepperoni slices? <laughs> that would be a good one. My regret is buying the generic mellow yellow. It's fucking horrible. My regret is making every single solo album I've ever done because they're fucking brutal. Oh, for Paul. Oh, geez. Getting like this one, getting Paul to admit a regret. Um, he doesn't have to admit it. It just has to be one. Okay. Being a producer on these albums and not hiring an outside producer. I don't think he regrets that. I think he thinks he was the best person, but that's that's what I'm saying. I want him to regret that. (laughs) That's my point. (laughs) I want him to say regret it for him. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Great question, buddy. Sterlino. We love you. That's a good one. That that could be a freaking whole goddamn episode, but thanks buddy. We love you. Tom, where can people find us? All right. Our email. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Please email us. Uh, we read them all. Sometimes we read all of them on the air. Uh, if you don't want them read on the air, make that clear and we will honor your wishes. We a couple of people sent us some real good ones and they asked this week not to yep. read them on the air. And Absolutely. we really appreciate those. Yep. Uh, and of course, our social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, please comment, tag us. You know, we got the loudcasters page. We got the DMs, the direct messages. You sound like Arnold. What with my voice? You sound like Hano. We got the DMs. We got oh, the loud. We got the loudcasters. We got the DM, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram. We got all of them. The social media. It's a wonderful place to be. Please join us. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, you guys, if you're listening, you know, if you're a new listener, start following us on social media. We're very active. We love engaging with people. Please continue to do that. Uh, we're part of the wonderful Pantheon Podcast Network of shows. Uh, and again, another huge thanks to our Patreon members. You guys are amazing, especially our newest member, Marty White. Woo! And don't forget, you can always DM us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, we do get a lot of those. And as you can tell, we read some of them. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube. YouTube. You do. YouTube. <laughs> you do. Channel. Uh, I said to us, uh, I said oh, oh, a couple episodes back, I think, hey, I want to get us to 400. Well, we're way past that now. So keep going. We want to get to 500. Yep. So please go on and subscribe to us there. And then also give us one of those five star, star. child reviews on iTunes, on Spotify, Podchaser, wherever you can go. 
rank us even on Facebook. And we've been getting a lot of the five-star reviews and we really appreciate it. We try to do only one a week. So we're trying to spread these things out. And we did get another one, Tom. You want to read it? Yeah, this comes from Jay Rucker 777. And the title is Five Star Child Review. Been listening to the show for a few months now. Found you guys when I was trying to find a review for the Ace Alice Tour because I had tickets to see them in Charlotte. Shocked. I actually went after hearing you <laughs> review. And he does like a laughing emoji. Nothing has made me laugh so many times as much as the Ace impressions have. My favorite was the karaoke on Kiss Cruise X. Was gasping for air. Anyway, keep up the good work. Definitely my favorite podcast. Woo, Jay Rucker. Thank you, buddy. That is awesome. That's when we saw him perform, and we and you were thirsty, and we we saw the pizza tent. And then what did yeah. we do? Pizzeria Regina and a fountain cola is better than the fucking show. Holy shit balls! I was fucking plastered off a of Mountain Dew. But then I'm only I, gonna I'm only gonna play eight songs. My set will be over before you finish that slice. Better yet, get me a fucking mellow yellow. <laughs> Jay, that's awesome. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate that very, very much. Yeah, these five-star child reviews are really, really coming in, and we appreciate all of them, and thank you. And so as we did last week when we were talking and uh, kind of telling you guys how much you've helped the show and things like that and how well the show is doing because of you and your support, uh, we'd like to tell you that uh, last week's episode broke every single fucking record we've ever had. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And still doing it. Yep. Um, Amazing. Our most downloads, our most fucking played, our most, you name most, it, it. Most it, comments, it. most shares, most everything. It was incredible. Yeah. And some of the comments and emails we didn't get to this week. We apologize. But, you know, it, we're still going to get people bitching how fucking long and how many comments we read. But we don't care. We want you guys to be part of the show. And that's yep. why you guys feel like you're part of the family. And that's one of the comments we get all the time. Yep, because we share the show with you, and uh, I think you guys get our sense of humor. Uh, we 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 love the interaction. We love being playful with you guys. Uh, you know, giving each other some shit, busting balls every once in a while. Sonny Pooney, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 a lot of you guys out there. But we love it and we appreciate it, and uh, we love the the fact that we get to share this show and bring people like James on and have fun and 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 talk about. The band that we can't stop talking about, Kiss. Do you like Kiss, Tom? Do you like Kiss? I mean, it's just—it's awesome. You guys are the best. We say this all the time. It's because of you guys and your support of the show that allows us to get somebody like James on this show to entertain us and you, and to promote one of the best Kiss books that's ever been released. So, yes, and Penelope Spheris, whatever her fucking name oh, is. Oh yes. yeah. <laughs> The show will continuously get better. We got a lot of big things in store, specifically this month. Oh, my God. This month is big time, baby. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be out there. So keep listening. Keep subscribing. Keep commenting. Keep in touch. Tom, what we always do, we uh, always like to leave with famous last words of the band Kiss. You got any? Oh, it's the band Kiss. Okay. Well, right. yeah, it's. Kiss K I S S. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. Do you like them? Do you like that band? If, if they played a, a song on the radio, would you listen to it? 
if you bought something from Kiss Online, would you get it on time? <laughs> no, no, I would not. <laughs> All right, here we go. And pain has got its reason. And if you don't stop your teasing, baby, I'm going to show you now. You'll get to love it. Anyhow. Anyhow. It's so fine. Loving with ease. Far from the house. And the family fights. It's so fine. Being with you. Being with me. Makes everything. I. (laughs) Tom, thank you. Uh, Loudcasters, thank you. Kiss Army, thank you. Author extraordinaire, James Campion, thank you. Guys, thank you so much. James, you were an amazing guest. Uh, We had a blast on and off with the recording. It was a fantastic time meeting you, so thank you for joining us, and thank you, everybody out there. You guys are the best. Patreon members, everybody. Zeus, thank you, my friend. Peace out, Girl Scout. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.